All right. Would you like to do a show? Or? Uh, All right. Well, thanks for yeah. listening, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll, um, do we'll do a show. We'll do a show. All right. So then I'm going to go ahead and... Oh, didn't get this. Nope. Oh. oh, is that is that like... I, I had is that a, heroin I, for your brain, that no, song? I, I could, honestly, dude, I could care less what the opening theme song is, but you've never recommended... No, I think it's a good. I think it's a good opening. No, you don't. No, no, yes, I you do. have hated it since day one. No, no, and, no. And here's my thing: <laughs> don't be like everyone else in my life. If you don't fucking like something, make a recommendation. Is your family and be the change, John? Your, don't be the complainer. Be the change. Is your family a bunch of yes men? What do you mean? I didn't say my family. Just, I said people in my life. Don't accuse oh. my family of anything. They've done nothing wrong right I now. I wasn't accusing them. I didn't know who else was even in your life. I know you have some kids and a wife. I don't know who's in your life. I figure that was it. That was your life. Is that a mistake? John, I'm, I'm a recovering PTA president. Oh. As you know, I've been coach of seasons, both baseball and football. I'm, I'm, in, I'm involved in coach of seasons. That's like a Hallmark it's my, movie. It's my 30 for 30. Oh, yeah. Brian Irwin, coach of seasons. My uh, Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. Uh, Tanner woke me up this morning because he was having a nightmare. Whoa. So he thought, well, somebody should be with me um, since I can't sleep anymore. So that was me. And uh, we uh, went downstairs to watch TV, and I watched the 30 for 30 on Deion Sanders. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that time he Prime played football time. and baseball Dude. on the same day. Very but well. I had forgotten. Both. Both sports, he played well, too. It wasn't like. Well, he did okay. They well. didn't. They benched him. And the, the thing is, is I forgot about this. I forgot that he got benched in the Braves game. He didn't play. Oh, he got playoffs? he got there in, in watching the documentary. He got there just as they were starting the first inning. Bobby Cox was pissed and just sat him on the bench. They lost seven to one, and he didn't play him that game. They go into the World Series and he batted. Really, he did really well in the World Series, but th- that whole like those two games, uh, the they, they, he lost in the Dolphins game. He didn't do that well in that one. So it was like I forgot that it was a little bit underwhelming. Still cool that he did it. it I, I wouldn't say underwhelming. I'd say uh, abuse of, like, he he took his celebrity. His celebrity went to his head, and you don't do that to a guy like Bobby Cox. He does not. Bobby Cox doesn't give a shit who you are. He was a great. I liked Bobby Cox. Like, I'm not a Braves a baseball fan, guy. But, like, he's a guy who's, like, you show up, you play. I don't give a shit about any of this other stuff. So, you know, don't give me your excuses. So, you know, Sanders showing up late. I haven't seen the documentary. and I Well, it's not even that. There, I, baseball, as you know, because you're a huge baseball head. Baseball's different. It's in February, one. dude. Base, it's the first month of baseball. I was wondering month. about baseball. I'm holding a baseball just for a brief description. You're wearing a shirt that, or ba- <laughs> a sweatshirt baseball. that says baseball. <laughs> and I got my Cubs World Series hat on. Just in case no one that can see this show knows we like baseball. Well, February, Black History month and a, bear, a very huge part of that is Jackie Robinson they talk yeah. about him a great deal and it's a big it's a big deal it's an impressive it's an impressive thing Jackie Robinson was a one of the greatest baseball players to ever play the game you know it's, it's you know what's it, funny I was watching the documentary did Ken Burns uh, do some more stuff because it seems like this stuff is on HD that I'm watching and the other stuff they put those bars when you're watching an HD and you yeah. know it was shot in standard def they put yeah. the bars on each side of it but this new stuff they did a they did a 10th inning. I'm not sure if they may have added an 11th inning. I think they did a whole thing on Jackie Robinson. Oh, well, that could be, too. It could yeah. be just a separate Jackie Robinson thing. But there there definitely was that chunk of Jackie Robinson within the baseball. That baseball documentary, I've seen that thing like five or six times. It's, yeah, it's great. It's so good, man. Yeah. It's so good. But what I was going to say was um, that, again... Just to constantly, you're talking about to constantly remind yourself about all the crap that Jackie Robinson went through. And I know that in some parts of this country, this is going to be an enraging statement. 
but that's exactly how people are going to look back at Colin Kaepernick years from now. There's oh, no sure. such thing as a perfect human being, first off. Well, no. Right? And some of the things he did were, were not perfect, but what he ultimately is taking a knee for, or quote unquote, standing up for, 20, 30, 40 years from now, people are going to be like, what was the matter with you guys? Why right. were you so... Yeah. The people that are angry now are on the wrong side of it. Yeah. And, and then they'll never change. It's like, that's why like, you that, watch well, the... I don't like to say never, but... Dude, when you, when you watch the Jackie Robinson thing, it's mind-boggling. When you watch anything that has to do with um, uh, what black people went through, you watch it and you're like, you're staring at all these stupid, ignorant white people going, mm-hmm. are you that stupid? Thick-headed, Are you man. that full of hate? Like, it, when you look at it, you're like, none of this makes any sense. What was the matter with you people? I think and it's, it's still a, a problem, obviously, still parts of America now. It's but the same thing. It is, it's just, just fear. Weird. It's fear that you're losing your your hold on everything. You know what I mean? It's it's some kind of weird fear. That's the only thing it can be, I think. Yeah. I mean, or it's taught. It's taught. It's, taught. it's a taught fear, It's but but that's what it is. And and the really, the, the only thing that, that I think of, I think about this regularly, actually, is that Jackie Robinson was the first uh, black player to play in the major in Major League Baseball? Right, there was a guy right around that same time also played at the same time. Mm-hmm. But like, and Jackie Robinson is, is is widely considered one of the better players to ever play the game. And this yeah. is a game that's been going on since the 1800s. Now imagine if in the 1800s they were like, yeah, anybody can play this game. It doesn't matter. There's no racial divide. Nothing. And then anyone who wanted to play baseball could play baseball. Imagine the stats. Imagine the home runs once the live ball era started. Imagine like how many more stolen bases, how many more, you know, just how many more insane things would have happened had guys like Jackie Robinson been able to start playing baseball whenever they wanted to. And there wasn't a barrier and there wasn't a separate league. Because if you look at those Negro leagues and the numbers those guys put up, they would have they would have mauled people that were like the Ty Cobbs of the world. You know what I mean? They were better than those dudes. So, so funny that that as I was growing up, how how celebrated Ty Cobb still was. And the minute I found out what he was like, I was like, that dude's not even on my radar. Like I, I also oh, no. like baseball, but I don't like half those guys that played back in the day. Whenever I hear about how douchey some of those guys were, yeah, and what they stood for, I was like, yeah, I don't care. It's like you know, it's the whole thing about not. Um, I've never been to Cooperstown, but I, I does does Ty Cobb have an asterisk next to his name for being an extreme racist? No, there's no you know asterisk I mean? next like, to his name. Yeah, no. it's just you look at that stuff but, and you're like, what's worse, right? Yeah, Pete Rose uh, gambling on games. Yeah, that's bad. But was was he uh, a like a notorious racist? That <laughs> yeah, I never. God, I've never been to Cooperstown either. My, this is where I got that sweatshirt came from. Cooperstown. Oh. Uh, I used to say Baseball Hall of Fame, but the number the other letters fell off. You wore it off. My mom, my mom bought it for me when she went. We've been trying to plan a trip up there forever, but it just hasn't worked out. Well, I, because I have kids, and um, we can finish on this so they don't kill the conversation, but. There is the option that uh, uh, one of my kids can play at Cooperstown this upcoming summer. No, really? Yeah, and I'm on the fence about doing it because it requires quite a commitment. It's a, it's a huge commitment. It's a time commitment. It's travel ball and all that kind of stuff. So, and it's, it's oh, it's, so he's got to play in like a full league. He, yeah, it's not one, it's all not a one, time. It's not a one off. You ever seen it? You'll know when you meet a travel parent. They're exhausted. They hate uh-huh. they hate life because <laughs> all they do is every weekend is dedicated to their like they live like at that point. You're, it's parenting on steroids. You literally have given up your entire life for your child at that point. Like everybody, there's, there's a certain level of sacrifice as a parent, which is fine. But when you go all in, it's like that's it. It's an all. It's every. It's, everything is about the that at, the, uh, the do you at that point. Th- do you think those parents see 
a way for their kids to play in the major leagues and that's part of it? Or is this just like, my kid loves it. I'm doing what my kid wants. Maybe. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's different for each person. Yeah, I've it, seen, yeah, it's not, I guess it's not, a I've seen statement. the psychotic ones. Yeah. And, and I know that, you They're know, fun. when, when you, when you, when you run the numbers, you realize they need to slow their roll. <laughs> Because the numbers are against them. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. My God. Yeah. Getting getting into a being a professional athlete is. <laughs> I don't. I'm. I look. I'm not a dream crusher. I. I you know. I won't. I, I. You know. I won't do that to anybody. My kids and as well. All I tell my kids is, again, there's. It's a numbers game. Just look at the numbers and realize what you're up against. You can continue to have all your dreams. But look at other options. The amount of you work do. you have to put in. But what I here's the, what this is what I wish somebody would have told me when I was growing up because this kind of pisses me off. If you're a kid and you love baseball, basketball, football, whatever, like if that's your thing, right? Sports. Yes, only the top what two percent, one percent ever makes it that far. Yeah. What about all the other jobs in professional sports? Oh yeah. No one tells you about that. No one encourages you. No one. Dude, no yeah. one guides you, can be an you down equipment that manager path. for the Chicago Cubs. Sit in the dugout yeah. for the World Series and make sure everybody has a bat. Like you know what my what I hated about college was counselors were the biggest waste on campus. Anytime you went to a counselor, oh, yeah, it was yeah. one of two things: they look at your grades and go, "You should get out," <laughs> or "You should do something else." Those are yeah. their two options: either get out of college or go do something else. Like, thank you, counselor, you did yeah. a great job today. Let's there's see how no this mop looks in your hands. No, oh yeah, that there's looks no good. guidance at all. It's like, why are you calling yourself a guidance counselor if your <laughs> only guidance is the doors over the doors there, over there? Yeah, and never look back. Hey, on you this remember campus. the way you came in? You can go out that same way mm-hmm. and. Never come back. In, All right, still. guys, we'll, we'll bring our guest in because I'm sure he's got things too. to add about baseball. He's here. And- Clearly, his dreams have been crushed as well. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know I about do. that. I do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Our guest today, uh, the very funny, uh, very talented uh, Tony Sam, writer, actor, producer. Um, comedian. Comedian. When did your dreams get tr- crushed? Oh, wait a minute. We can't go into that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting When here. did your vertebrae get crushed? In, I got to jump in with all this chitter-chatter. Uh, all right. I mean, well, aren't you all, in, baby. Well, aren't you all jacked up on drugs now anyway? So you're, uh, you're a couple aren't you, of Advil. I aren't you back getting into the car, guys. I'm that old. I'm a laugh at, laugh at a commercial about uh, erectile dysfunction <laughs> and hurt your back years old. <laughs> Like boners what, are hilarious. What, so, uh, why are you in today? Well, I laughed because I saw this funny commercial, and now I'm in traction. Stand up, <laughs> help, help me. If we go to your place, you don't have one of those upside down traction things, do you? You know, a friend of mine had one of those, and I tried it, and I it I felt like death. I felt like dying. It, oh, it hurt. It sent blood rushing to my head, and it felt like it was about to explode. And I said, "Get me out of this thing, you maniac!" And what does he do? Does he hang up there for like a half an hour? Yeah, he's got back trouble, but he says he loves it. But interesting. It, it, it you felt didn't like awful. it. I always thought that was just a shitty prop from bad movies in the eighties. Well, it was Batman, really not a real thing. The first, the Michael Keaton Batman. He's swinging away on that thing. And yeah. No thanks. Well, he was, <laughs> hey. Thanks, but no thanks. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, was, uh, he was part bat, though, right? I think if I understand that movie correct, he was bitten by a radioactive bat. Just in the penis. <laughs> just in the penis. Only from the waist down to, to just below the taint. Yeah, that's right. That's, he's, the, that's the only area. part that he's... His penis has bat, bat wings. <laughs> Which, if it's a hot enough day... <laughs> I got to chime in. I got to chime in about something. You're yeah. talking on baseball. Yeah, love it. The baseball. Yeah. And the, uh, We've seen some games together. That's right. I think you're wearing the Cubs that I gave you. Uh-oh. No, actually, uh, the one you gave me is the other one i have two like this and then someone gave me a third one that's too big for me 
But like, I do have th- another one just like this. You should have just said Why yes. Why wouldn't you say it's the exact same hat? Sorry. Why wouldn't you just say yes? Because, because, I, I, because I looked at them today and I remember the one that you gave me had something cut out of it. And you deliberately didn't wear it. <laughs> So we could talk about how you're not wearing this is I sorry guys and I will tell you he gave you he, I'm assuming this is why you're here you were on his mind because on the last show he was giving you a lot he was he was talking you up quite a bit and is so that true we had a, we had we had Santa Moses on oh Santa. and essentially you're the reason that I came into contact with her and she's from my hometown yeah and she like it was it was and it, what a, it was such an interesting I don't want to we're not going to hijack your day for her but but she, she was it was a great interview she is such a talent Talented and worthwhile human being. Like, she's a Chicago special. Yeah, she really is. She's something, man. And uh, it was. I mean, when she was like, I, I peed on the Bluesmobile when I was five. I was like, <laughs> Oh my god, dude! Like, I actually, I heard you guys talking to Doug Mallard, and uh, you nonchalantly brought up the incident in which you met them. Oh yeah, okay. It was like you didn't mention names or whatever, but you said someone recognized hey, you. Uh, your brother. They mentioned your brother. And yeah, because like, Joe, Joe was like, "Are you you're Jeff Huck's brother?" And I and I laugh because I'm no one. That's a that's a rare, that's a rare. It does happen. It's happened more now that he since he's been out here. But like usually he gets, "Are you John Huck's brother?" And so that was always kind of because John owes people a lot of money because right. I have a lot of debt and collectors. That's after what me. I do. I facilitate <laughs> meetings of people's uh, and I call out gifts that were given. Yeah. That's uh, these are skills. That's what real friends do. They remind people of the gifts they gave. That's yeah, a real uh, friend calls you. Hey man, remember that thing I gave you? Anyway, take care. <laughs> just my wonder, work is done here. Just wanted to remind you. It I only gets shitty stuff. if he gives you the hat back <laughs> as a gift. Tony, happy like, birthday, man! No, I'll sell that shit on eBay with authentic John Huck sweat. Yeah, see, sweat. Be worth something someday. Well, you're talking baseball, and you said that if Jackie Robinson had or the the the, the league had been open. Opened up yeah. to other players. I mean, if you took any baseball team at that time, it, it was like an Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. meeting. Oh yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. Bats. Yeah, and with like ba- with bats. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great really, idea, everybody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but yeah, all those guys were drunk, booze hound. Yeah, the number one reason to be on the DL was gout. <laughs> Right. Well, he's got my gout gout's acting up. Hey, stop eating hot dogs for breakfast, guy. Right? Just <laughs> you. You look like a star baseball player, and I mean, Dude, but that's but that was what, and I, I don't mean it like like this, but that's kind of what drew me to the sport to begin with. Was like, guys, you would see like. With guts, John Cruck, dude. Well, John Cruck was awesome, and I love so that close guy. to John he had a big Huck. Belly. He had a huge belly, but there were. I mean, Babe Ruth was a fat ass. Like, like there were guys. Uh, in, but but back in the eighties, especially, it was like you either were that lanky early Barry Bonds, where you were like just like a bean. Well, well, he's there were also children. I mean, if you think about That's it, true they're, too. They're like nineteen to twenty five yeah, year children. old kids, basically. Well, back then. People who were supposedly twenty looked like they were forty-five. That's the other. Everyone looked. That's what I was saying. Like, I I feel like they also didn't draft so early back in the day. So it was like, I'm getting, I'm getting into the bigs. I'm twenty-four. We got a young upstart who's (laughs) thirty-nine years old. He was working the farm for forty-seven years, and they found him throw a football one day and eating (laughs) corn. And (laughs) next thing you know, milking cows. Now he's he's got the tan of the streets on him. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, you know, people looked older too. Not just because of drinking, I it's soap. 
They just washed with soap. Dry your skin right out. That, Add well, 15 years to your face. Is yeah. that is that the speech you got as a child from your grandfather? No. My dad... Stop using my soap. My dad would use lava soap on his face. On his face? He's yeah, like, but... You never got to get in those pores. You got to open them up. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. It wasn't until I moved out here that my sister... I was staring at my sister in San Diego, and she said... You know you don't use soap on your face, right? I was I was just a man. I well, was like no. a dude. I don't I don't care. I was like showers were like get in there, yeah. dust it off, get the fuck out. Yeah. Right? Like I was not one of those ones that was like oh yeah and like spent hours in the shower. Oh, and I could she spend was like a long time, but it was she just was like doing the same thing you're talking. But about. I had I had stuff on my face like bumps, and she goes, you know, you just if you just use like face soap, you won't get those. I'm like what? She's face like, soap? Yeah. That's for pussy. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> what am I, a woman? And then I started doing it, and I was like, holy shit, I look oh, more look beautiful now. Like yeah, yeah, I got yeah, a California glow. Well, it's we like, come from the Midwest where the water is so hard, it's like sand coming out <laughs> in the winter time. Like you take a shower, you dry off, like your whole arm is white. Yeah. Because of the, the deposits and the drainage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brian's from Milwaukee, grew up, well, oh, born in Chicago. And then, so you were, you're from Chicago, Chicago? Chicago, or, Chicago. Uh, born and raised? Lincoln Square. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shy town. Shy town Tony. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> Chicago Tony. And I was the <laughs> when, streets. Was that your nickname you gave yourself? Yeah. Okay. I think the best way to get a nickname is to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. T-Bone. Is that the I first thing you did as, that one as, as well. soon as you moved out here, like before I say a <laughs> I word, I got to make myself. sure. <laughs> I got to get out here. I got to create a, like a buzz about myself. <laughs> hey, guys, I heard Chicago Tony's in here. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's oh. like, who's this dude whispering to me at this bar? <laughs> I used to tell a really bad open mic joke when I first moved out here about We'll be the judge. Not being a, well, it'll be easy to judge this one. <laughs> I used to, compl- you know, the classic, like, I can't get a date. That's because no one seems to care about me thing. And I said, you know, I decided that uh, one of the reasons why I can't get a date is because no one really seems to pay attention to me. So what I do is I like to go to a bar the day before and put out a bunch of flyers of me that says I'm missing. And then I come in. <laughs> everybody, and then everybody finds me, and I'm the greatest... <laughs> I'm a great story that night. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's. I think that's a good joke. That's a solid premise. <laughs> that's well, a funny. This concept. may have been the first laugh hey, I ever got out of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> you're like the star of the bar. Hey, is that Who the guy? Is me? That, you walk in, everyone's whispering. <laughs> exactly. That guy looks like the poster. He looks like the poster. <laughs> that's hilarious, dude. That's really funny. That's and actually, I'm sure that's been done on a hidden camera oh, yeah, as sure, a hidden yeah, camera yeah. prank. But like. Wow, dude, you just walk in like everyone's like, that guy's missing. Or like, I'm sure they've done it like murderer. And then I'm sure you walk I'm also in not and- the only person ever told that joke. I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, if you think about it, which is, again, it, that was back when I was trying to figure out how to write. Now I don't, it's, you know. Sure, but I also I, think that it's an, it, it is a fairly original premise and that, you I don't know, know. I haven't I heard it. I haven't heard anyone. You know how sometimes you're like, oh, I th- I've heard a version of that or I've yeah. heard something similar to that. I haven't heard. I haven't heard it. All right. Yeah. I'm going to tell it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make it my own. Hey, Don't guys, worry. I like to post around the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, lost I didn't Tony. say bar. I didn't say bar. I said neighborhood. Have you seen oh, yeah, so different. Chicago Tony? That's right. <laughs> when did you move out here? Uh, gosh, I, well, I, I, I always say 2008, but it was the end of 2007 with okay. like a month to go. Was there a specific to- reason why you chose that time? Well, me, you know, I always forget to ask people that. Like, you know, some of it's pre-planned. Some of it's like, all right, that's that's it. I'm fucking yeah, out. Yeah, there of was here. a like last straw. Like, yeah. well, landlord. The, I guess the decision to move out here it, it was it was the 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 beginning. The the catalyst. The initial catalyst was it was the winter of the year before. 
and I had lived uh, in uh, Lakeview uh, at the corner of Belmont and Clark in Chicago, and I lived above the L and L Tavern. If Wow. Okay. Your listeners are aware of where that is. If you're not, then don't worry about it. It's a tavern. <laughs> it's, uh, I lived on this four-story old building, and uh, it had one of those old rickety wooden staircases in the back. If you've been to Chicago, yeah. every apartment has this old shitty staircase that's on the verge of collapse. Like, yeah, missing which wood. they and did. Like- I think a lot of them did collapse, and there was this whole law passed around why you had to replace them. Anyway, uh the it had snowed it had shit snow everywhere and i was going to work i was coming down the back steps and when i hit the bottom landing i slipped and i went like a cartoon oh uh and i lay i just i laid there in the snow for a minute and i was like okay so i went back upstairs because i was wet now from snow and i changed my pants and I went back down on the same landing. I hit the same step and I slipped and I went. Duh, 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 duh. I was like, well, I'm not going to work today. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, this is the last year I will ever do this. And that had kind of put in my mind. I was like, well, I got to put a timeline. I got to go to LA. I got to get my career going. And then. Um, can I ask, was there no thought of New York because of it's the same thing weather-wise? Never. I would yeah. never. So part of it snow. was, I'm, I'm tired of this weather shit. Yeah, you know, you, it wears you down. You grow up with it. Like as a kid, you're like, okay, yeah, we don't have to go to school. But then you're like, well, I got to go to work. I don't want to go to work. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to stay in, but I can't. Because in, like, you've been, I mean, you've been in Chicago. Like, it gets so windy. I walk to work backwards. I would walk backwards against the wind and just, it's like flapping your coat and you're like, uh, one good big gust, it's going to take me off and you'll never <laughs> see old Chicago Tony again. That's right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Chicago Joe, Chicago Steve, <laughs> Chicago Al are like, shut up, Chicago Tony. Right? We all know it's cold out. But it's funny when you describe that. That's that's that thing where I used to ask my mom, like, how come you guys never got out? My parents were born and raised in Chicago. They're Midwesterners for life and it's just like, they are like, no, you just learn to love it. You just accept it. I'm like, because I couldn't, at some point, I was like, no, I can't accept this anymore. It was negative There's, 45 there the uh, other but no, day. But again, my parents shit. are in their, their late 80s now. They've obviously, it's pretty clear at this point, they have accepted you the fact. You yeah. to it. Like, I think that they're like, well, I could never find this factory job anywhere else. Uh, I don't like know. My, I, dad, my dad worked at a, you know, a, he was like a heavy machinery mechanic at this factory and i was like clearly there are other places you could i know that chicago is the machining capital of the united states but uh i was like there's gotta be somewhere else yeah but, but I, I feel mean, like that's a midwestern thing too to not leave too far from home you stick with what you know yeah my, you know your generations are here you're, you you stayed in contact with your siblings and you would spend every holiday together like you know i don't i i talk to my sister regularly but i, I haven't seen my brother in like two years really yeah, we're oh. not close. I was going to tell oh. you about the Cooperstown thing. His kid did it. Did he? Yeah, big time commitment. Yeah, it is. Okay, so you're you're. Very I don't know familiar. if he did well or not because we don't talk. It, uh, you know, at that well, point, that's too it bad. <laughs> I don't. You know, I, I think once you get there, though, it's about getting there. I, I, I'm going to guess that you probably have. If you're paying that much to get there and put that much time in, I would like to believe that Cooperstown lets you play a couple games. It's not like a one done. You get all the way. They're like, you guys suck. So you yeah, can go home out, now. Goodbye. Home. Thank no, you. No, Turn you around. you get to play a few games. Yeah. My nephew is actually <clears throat> he's taller than me, and he's I think he, he just turned thirteen. No, he's one of the big ones. He is dad. His dad, my brother, is six five. Okay, you know, he's always been a big dude. But that kid is big, and I forgot. I forgot how old he was for like 
four years because he was as tall as I was. Like, right. so you dating girls yet? He goes, I like toys. I <laughs> 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 get into any of that, uh, those, uh, those dirty girls. Uh, you need a little tip. You're like, like giving him porno magazines. He's like, I'm 11, Uncle Tony. <laughs> you want to play Skylanders with me? <laughs> that's a thing kids play, I guess. Not sure. anymore. They Not also anymore. watch no, that's, that's dancing done. on Fortnite. Wow, that's, uh, that's how Let me tell you something. Apps have just, it's amazing to watch the evolution of kids being able to just move like uh, my evolution of toys i think i stuck with star wars figures for like a good five to seven years now you give kids something they're like within three weeks they're like no no Boring. you don't know about this uh, this new thing that's happening now you're like everybody needs to fucking calm the fuck down like now they cycle through stuff so quickly kids? 13 and 10 have they ever said the word cringe to you that's no, the thing that kids are saying. Apparently, I, I, then they must have not have seen it on YouTube yet, because that's usually where they get all their lingo. Yeah, there's been a lot of broing going on in the house, uh, bro. That's been coming from the headsets playing well, the Fortnite with the kids. The other, if that is probably. Uh, well, there's this. Everyone plays these online games. I don't know if you heard of PUBG, but no, uh, kids. They just the kids today. They love it. Uh, and there's these chat live chats that you play against or you see while you watch people play these games and and on all these boards they just type words if they don't like something it's cringe oh i thought it was trash how you feel oh yeah they use the word everything's trash and garbage which i was i I stopped when i go i hate it that's pretty harsh Calling yeah. a human being trash you know what, but garbage. Here's where, here's where that's not harsh enough. I watched the Ted Bundy documentary, right? That series yeah, on Netflix. Everyone's talking about how he's handsome. <laughs> but, which no, is he's not. creepy. My wife was like, that's disgusting. Yeah, he's, he's not creepy. He's a, yeah, he's a weasel. But <laughs> he looks like a young Mr. Burns, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, But anyway, in, in that documentary, they, go, they, they interview, first of all, too much smiling in the documentary, not just from Ted Bundy, who smiles all the time, which is a huge red flag. Have you seen it? He's a psycho, right? So the psycho is smiling all the time, yet everyone they interview is like, well, you know, he got away, and they're smiling. I'm like, what are you smiling about, dude? Like, 30 more people were killed because of that. He's like, huh, you know? I'm like, no, I don't, dude. You're part of the law enforcement team that let that happen. Why are you smiling? It's crazy. (laughs) Well, that was just Ted. Yeah, and then at the end, this guy's like, this, this dude was like oh, a lawyer or somebody. No, I think it was the lawyer. And he was like, I mean, just a, just a piece of garbage in human form. He was the only one. That oh. was that was the biggest thing he could say Would, about Ted Bundy was he's a piece of garbage in human form. And I'm sorry, not harsh enough. To John's point, <laughs> the, it's ridiculous. Like, So there's the trial. He defends himself, obviously. And at the end of the trial, the judge is like... Mm. Which is this is this is this so, was so it's weird. Such a statement on how men view white men. Yeah. If, so the if judge Ted is Bundy like, was black, hey, I I got no ill will toward you, son. Like, but you, uh, you chose the wrong you, path. You took the wrong path. I have no ill will against right, he's you. Like, he, he basically said, "I'd hire you to work for me, but I can't because you got to go to you prison." You chose the wrong path, son. But good luck to you. That judge was a piece good of shit. Luck to you. That judge let Ted Bundy practice law in his courtroom, and Ted Bundy is not a lawyer. That's he didn't go to law school. He didn't graduate law school. He didn't pass the bar. On the flip side of that, going back to the Deion Sanders 30 for 30 <laughs> as another documentary, you know who didn't smile during that? Tim McCarver and John Sherholz was the general manager. Tim McCarver was was the doing the broadcast when Deion yeah. was doing all that stuff, and he said some pretty, you know, like straightforward, like he shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff, and Deion Sanders after the game dumped water on him. 
Tim McCarver refused to be interviewed because he's still pissed wow. 25 years later. Yet you're telling me about people who are yucking it up uh, 25 years later about a guy about they let go that went on to murder people. Tim McCarver's mad about water on him, Dude. and he won't even talk about it. <laughs> I know. Like, when he escapes for prison the second time, yeah. they're like, eh? Well, we goofed. Up. He lost. He lost a bunch of weight and slid through a tiny hole in the wall. It's like, hey, hey why are there tiny holes in your prison? Who is the sheriff? Buford T. Justice. Exactly, dude. Exactly. <laughs> yes, dude, Jackie Gleason and uh, Skeeter and, and Booger, Andy Griffith, and Don Knotts was there. And Has anybody seen the key for the jail? And then they're like, <laughs> Well, I left it on that donut <laughs> over there. And then the next time they're like, Well, this next time we locked him up, we had two locks on. The- I'm like, You guys are <laughs> fucking idiots. It was really insane how like how people were like, well, he was Ted. We let him do some research and we let him pre- don't let. Why wasn't he in shackles in the courtroom? He was a I know, serial he was, he killer. Was basically telling his counsel, which they all had law degrees and practice and law, knew he was guilty. And he's like, no, 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 I'll take this. And so, and he would just ask questions that, I mean, I don't at one point is not the podcast is about, but I mean the. The fact that he would be like, so tell me in detail, uh, what did the murder scene look like? Yeah, so be they, specific. They they they, they interviewed. <laughs> they, they put this woman on the stand, right? The the defense uh, or the the prosecutor puts this woman on the stand. They interview her about the night of these crimes, mm-hmm. and then they are about to let her off the stand. And then the defense, Ted Bundy, says, "No, I want to cross-examine her," which is like something you would never do as a defense attorney right. because you're, you're basically saying <laughs> you want her off the stand as soon as possible. He's like, no, 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 keep her up there. And then he asks her to describe in detail, like Tony said, the, the, what happened at the murder, what her arms look like, what her head looked like. And talk slowly while you lick your sl- lips. Dude, it was really, and everyone was like, what does this have to do with anything? anything? And the judge let it happen. I would have been like, Mr. Bundy, you're not a lawyer. Sit down, and if you stand up again, you're going to be in contempt, Right. I'm not a judge. I know that's what you do. Uh, Let the record show I am rock hard right now. (laughs) I just want everyone in the court to look at my boner. Uh, As the testimony was given, I nearly ejaculated. Describe it. Does everyone see this? I wouldn't be surprised if that is the stuff that that did not make the documentary. It's probably there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's a it's a disturbing documentary, and and. But again, too much smiling and then not enough harshness towards this guy who murdered only women. Like He's, he's a, dead, right? He is. Yeah, yeah. He got the chair. He was only actually convicted of killing two people. Yeah. Which, but then he gave, him, he gave him 30. Do you remember that Jane's Addiction song? It's, it's, on the, it's on the album Nothing Shocking. It's essentially the song Nothing Shocking, but it's called Ted Just Admit It. And there is an interview that oh, they use yeah. Ted Bundy interviews in that song. And he's like, there are people going to be turning up in canyons in Salt Lake City because the police here aren't willing to accept what I know they need to accept. And that's that I didn't do these things. So he's saying all this all, until, until it looks like he's probably not going to get off death row. And then he's like, okay. Here's right, the deal. He, he confessed. And then he confessed all those. He was never tried for any of that. Yeah. So okay. if you're going to watch it, no, yeah. you don't have to. We ruined the whole thing. I didn't mean to. Ru- we didn't ruin it. Well, it's first still- off, you can't ruin real life I of know, something I that mean, already happened. Yeah. There's not a Google. surprise ending yeah. here. I just couldn't remember if he had died or not. Yeah, no, that was a big deal because it was an execution. And then, and also, like then they show the people out there partying, watching him get executed with their witty signs like "Burn Teddy." I know burn. it was like one of these marches we have downtown, but the signs were really clever. Yeah, yeah. it was, but. 
but it was still. I was just. I kind of. I'll, I can forgive that though. I can too. But Except it, if you're not affected by it, then you're just being a fucking weirdo. Like if you're just doing that to do that. Well, that, that was thing. what it, uh, the people that were affected no, by those crimes were not really. there at those things. They were like in either in the room watching the execution, like the one guy, and then people came out and like were cheering, and then that one uh, cop or uh, DA or whatever who had to, who read who made a public spectacle of reading him his rights. And, All right, that guy. That was, was a weirdo. That was a real. There was. Oh, some, there's another part. So sorry to keep harping on this, but the thing John's talking about. Ted Bundy was not handcuffed at all. At all, wandering around at while he's being all. read his. Indictment. I don't think that guy ever had cuffs on. <laughs> it's fucking insane. Just to be clear. Colin Kaepernick is not a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) He really genuinely, he may have made some mistakes, but he is not a bad person. He might not be the greatest quarterback in the world. for those of you who don't get what I just said in relationship to what I just heard, you'll never really understand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was, it was, I I recommend it. It was, it was interesting. And I love how everyone's like, don't watch it alone. I looked at Nicole and I was like, would you be afraid to watch this alone? She goes, what? No. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know. Everyone was like, don't watch the Ted Bundy I know. I came alone. home and uh, Lauren, my girlfriend, <laughs> the doors were out. wide open. All the windows <laughs> were open. She's like walking around, skipping around while it's on the TV. <laughs> Like, come and sit down. It's this lighthearted doc. <laughs> it's like a about, lighthearted doc. It's about Dr. Seuss. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Ted Bundy. Right. Yeah. It, it's I disturbing. get those two confused sometimes. Yeah. Uh, just disturbing. checking back in with every one of our listeners. We're talking Ted today. I'm talking Ted. <laughs> it's a Ted talk. We Ted talk talk. about Ted talking Bundy. Ted, Ted talk. Long time caller. Um, first time listener. Speaking you, of your place, uh, you liking that place? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, this he just is my he, first home. Joni just moved into a, a, a home, a house, uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, it, it's going to be a year in March. Okay. So uh, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I I never thought in my life I'd ever own a house, so uh, it's pretty nuts. But it is a lot of fucking work, if I can go ahead and say that. Yeah. I, no one's going to, I don't think anyone, any homeowner is going to argue with that. If anyone, I don't know. I, I feel like. I had no idea what I was getting into, but it is. I mean, did you, you, did you buy a fixer-upper or just in no, general? No, this it's thing just, was flipped, but just by the nature it, of it's yeah. a house. And, you know, one, it never rains in California, and, and yeah. we've had all this rain recently. That's when you find out where the leaks like, are. I was house. like, holy shit, when yeah. has it rained four days in a row <laughs> since I've lived here? And then, of course, we had a little leak. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, then you start thinking like in your head, you're like, oh God, well, this is going to cost me this. And, and, you know, uh. I don't know. I, I refuse to accept that I can't fix everything myself. Yeah. I mean, there's enough YouTube videos out there, man. You should be able to figure it out. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, no. There's a lot no, of YouTube videos no. where no one knows what they're doing, yeah. and those are the ones I follow. Yeah. Get yourself a brush and a bucket of slop. Go up on the roof and have at it, Ace. I'm trying. Have at it, Ace. Yeah. Hey, Super Chief, you can fix that leak yourself. Super Chief, yeah. Come on, Woodchuck, get up there and slap on a little tar. That fixes everything. So my roof is just like, I started writing my name, I think, in roofing tar on all the tiles just because, and I sat up there after the last time it rained, I sat up there and just, I was like, I could stay up here. I could just stay up here and then I don't have to worry about anything else. It's quiet up here. Get a mattress. <laughs> I actually got stuck <clears throat> when I went up on the roof last time because my ladder fell. That was real? Uh, so here's the thing. I so, thought that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Were you by yourself? So, Rule number one, never work on a roof for high yourself. up with ladders well, by yourself. Learned, lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend was like, are you going to be okay? And I go, you bet. 
And then so she left. She left, and oh. I had my phone in my pocket, but uh, I had positioned my ladder in on an angle that if I was to step on it, I would not be. Able, I would have fallen to my death. So uh, I was like, I called her and I said, "Look, you were right. I uh, <laughs> I can't get down." <laughs> So uh, maybe you could help me. And she's like, well, I'm in the middle of lunch. So I was like, all right, well, you know what? It's quiet up here. <laughs> what about your neighbors? <laughs> I just, I just going to sit up here. Uh, well, my, I have a friend that lives a few doors down, but Jim, I was okay, actually. Like, I was just like, you know what? I wanted to sit up here a while. And think about stuff. <clears throat> think about what I've done. <laughs> when she, I heard her pulling up in the driveway. I kicked the ladder off the house. Oh, okay. So it looked like uh, it had it had fallen, and I was li- I was really trapped. But uh, she's like, "Is this real? Is any of this real?" Because she knows me. Of course. Yeah. It's like, is this just for Instagram? Or is this <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm like, ah, Tony's being I a said, dick. It's you a little it. a, a little b, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but the house, man. I've only been over there, uh, I guess, twice now. But we went over there for the Fourth of July, mm-hmm. and Holy moly. man, I am telling you, I used to rave. I used to, I used to kind of mock LA for its holidays and everything. And I, I from you know Warrenville, Illinois, and we have a phenomenal. They do for a small town. They do some of the best fireworks I've ever seen on the Fourth. We went to Tony's last year. We couldn't go back uh, to the Midwest. We went to Tony's last year. And we went out on his in his backyard, which basically is a is a almost a more than a one eighty view of pretty much the entire area of Los Angeles. And there's downtown. You can see Dodger Stadium. Hollywood there's Sunday. all these different things you can see. And when the fireworks started, not only what did like Dodger Stadium have fireworks, and then the fireworks from downtown, and then the fireworks from Culver City and Century City and everywhere else. But the his street. neighbors right below him had. Legit, some of the best fireworks I've ever seen, and it went on like professional and, pyrotechnics. When we right. drove out of there in our lift, like we, me and Nicole, were watching fireworks for so long that when we turned around, there was no one else in the yard. We were watching fireworks there for two hours, two and a half hours. We then got in a lift, went home. On the way out in the lift, there were people in their driveways with stacks of unused fireworks, stacks of fireworks. I was like, holy shit! So we got home. I went out onto our balcony, and I could still see fireworks going off downtown. I was like, it, I'm telling you, there was like five hours of nonstop fireworks. It was, I think it's awesome. I know people who with PTSD and with animals do not think it's awesome. But in my opinion, I feel that's a time you need to get out of the city. You need to go to Joshua Tree. You need to go no somewhere way. else. If you added up all the fireworks I'd seen in my entire life, they still wouldn't amount no. to the amount that I saw on that, <laughs> that night. Like it, it was insane. Life. It was insane. I agree with you. I Los agree. Angeles loves their fireworks. But, but I, mean, I mean, I've never. So I've been here for the Fourth of July. Face, I, I, I mean, I've never seen anything. Did like you it. sit out there with a hose? <laughs> no, that's a good point. But John's like, you should charge money next year. Yeah, I was like, dude, okay. you could. You got to charge admission. <clears throat> Except and not like, for the you should start the- losing friends. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. twenty bucks to watch the works, baby. Twenty bucks. I don't know about that. You had your tickets to Tony's party. It was uh, that was something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I gotta say, like, the one cool part about having a home is having that view. But uh, I, I don't know. It's just a lot of worries. Like, I, I appreciated living in an apartment for all those years because someone else took care of that. Yeah, shit. Yeah, like the first time something broke in the house, I was like, "What uh, do we call? What do we do?" So I called the realtor. <laughs> They're like, "Don't call us again." <laughs> I sir. was like, "Hey." uh, 
help what do you do she's like uh well it's actually your house now so you have to fix these first things. off bravo to the realtor for even taking the call <laughs> yeah, this is the guy uh house. you're no value to that person anymore <laughs> no, i know you didn't get Unless the early summer home you didn't get that, that that little weird insurance thing right the in-between insurance from the home purchase where like if shit goes wrong for the first six well, you months do. It's, you get the it's like the warranty the yeah. home warranty mm. uh but I mean, even Bang. those, it's so limited yeah. in scope. Yeah. Like, it's such a, it's like, well, we threw that in for you, but it really won't do anything. And we've we tried calling it twice, and it was a waste of money. As a fellow homeowner, I'll tell you what you do ultimately is um, you just accept it for okay. the longest time possible until it bothers you a lot. And then you bring over a friend who goes, you probably should have fixed that a long time ago because there's probably rot inside the walls yeah. now. So now we got to take that whole thing out. So now and it's you, a bigger then, project than it would have been. And then you, you freak out, right and away. then you don't do anything about it again. <laughs> I know I'm the wrong person to own a house because if I see some a little a little thing, I will stare at it and obsess I'll over like, it. Oh boy, I gotta fix that or my life's over. Yep. And, that uh, used to be me. This I sounds like a metaphor for like who you are, though, in terms of everything else in your life as the, well. The, don't worry so. about it, dude. The house what will break you. Yeah. The house. I just will break mean you. when you one little thing, and you're like, okay, okay, this needs to change. This needs to be fixed. Oh yeah, I I overthink everything, uh, and I take everything personally. And the house will break you. Don't worry. Oh, it's it's doing that. I had this. <laughs> I actually had the talk with. The house and I, I talked with the house. I said, you know, you and I better have a little chat. <laughs> this house, this this yard isn't big enough for the both Mr. of us, Mister Man. Uh, I was like, you know, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe we should get out. Why of did you choose to buy a house? Uh, oh boy, you well, know, no, I, mean, I asked that because majority of the people I know don't of within this circuit. I mean, obviously, most of the parents I know obviously all own homes, but a lot of people choose to never. Get into it because they're always doing that. I'm just waiting for that crash. I don't want to. I don't want to be. You know, real estate. I don't want to pay too high or whatever. So you always stay out of it. Rent is very expensive, so most people I look at him like, yeah, of course you should buy a house when you can. But I'm just curious, like, what you're driving oh, for. Well, so. we we thought about that. We're like, you know, the cost of an apartment that we can find was like seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars, and our mortgage isn't much more than that. And we're like, well, we can, you know, make money potentially on this and and get equity. And it's like we're paying ourselves. And that seems like a good idea because, I mean, I've I guess I've thought about the, the housing market and how it's, you know, up and down. But one, I think L.A. is continually at a deficit of homes for people. Right. There's more people that want homes than there are homes available. And, Decent homes, anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shitty ones. And in my neighborhood, there's a big buying boom in Boyle Heights because there's a lot of affordable homes there that can be flipped and and sold to make money. But I was just like, well, you know, I, I'm at an age where I should probably own something or have something of value in my life. <laughs> You're uh, trying that, to be a grown-ups. Yeah. You know, most people, all my friends, they bought a house 10 years ago. Thanks, buddy. Now you're that's a transitional area. We tight, right? <laughs> we must be really tight. You're in a transition. No, you still a lot in a tra- of my guys I went to high school. Yeah, with. he's talking about other people, not oh, the ones people. that can't remember whether they got a hat from them or not. <laughs> I, the uh, um, <laughs> but that's transitional area over there still. Yeah, you know it's it's Highland Park in L.A. is is one of those areas like guys. We're talking real estate. Uh, <laughs> Highland Park is is crime you know, real estate. We're going to cover it all here. It's uh it's like one of those neighborhoods that you know it's been gentrified and everything is. Are you one of the cheap. hated? Is what I'm saying. Uh, the hated? Are you? Yes. No, you know 
Because Highland Park, they don't. There, there's a war. There's like not a war, but there's that oh, gentrification. Well, like real. in Boyle Heights, where I live, there, <clears throat> there is a war. Uh, but I have to say, it's a loud minority. This small group that are speaking on behalf of everyone. Because if you ask our neighbors, they could care the less. Nicest people. They're like, yeah, we're glad you're here. You're a nice neighbor who who doesn't make trouble. And you uh, don't throw trash in the street. <laughs> so there's a start. Like I, I was, I was driving on this street in my neighborhood, and I watched a guy. He like unwrapped this thing. Uh, maybe it was a burger or something. He took the wrapper, just threw it out in the street. <laughs> took a guzzle off his cup, chucked it again into the road, and I watched this happen in front of me. And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? What? What disconnect?" Do you think allows you to do that? I I actually find that interesting. You saying that and talking about how the whole, the perfection of your home that you were able to put up. See, I, that probably would drive me nuts. The neighbors, as you now know, buying a house and this kind of goes the same thing with getting an apartment. You don't you don't rent or buy the place. You buy the neighborhood. You have to look around to see what's around you because that's the shit that's going to drive you bonkers at the end of the day. You know, most of where you live, John, is transitional, so you're okay. Eventually, hopefully, the psychos just move away. But, you know, yeah. when you buy a house... Yeah, hey, those people could be there for 20, 12, 30, yeah. 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, my, my two neighbors are great. They Just not that guy. Uh, no, the trash guy. I, the trash driver. No, uh, I like, I'll drive around and I'll see, like, someone puts a broken toilet in front of their house or, or just dumps <laughs> this old couch and decides, well, someone will take it. I... I shouldn't bother to call that number that the city proposed <laughs> exactly. and says, hey, we'll come get we'll come that get thing. It. Don't worry about it. No cost, no nothing. We'll just come just and get all it. All you got to do is let us know. Yeah, just... just uh, <laughs> I don't feel like it. Nah. <laughs> what a hassle. <laughs> Let's just wait until someone actually goes to the bathroom in the toilet. Right? Uh, well, the only stuff I put out on my curb, like I've put out an exercise bike, a, a flat screen, and a couple other things, and I'm always it like... says a lot about what's going on in your life, by I the put, way, that, I put, just that, that description. Yeah, I put like <laughs> signs, I'm free, work, whatever, you know, needs fixing, something, and I give it, I always go, I'll give this a day, and if, and if nobody takes it off the street, then I'll call that number, and it's gone within an hour, two hours, and I'm talking like, I put things out there that I was like, oh, this probably isn't going to get moved, gone. I had stuff People to get take taken it. within like 15 minutes. It's crazy. But see, I had a neighbor before we moved here. I had a neighbor. We, we was like one of those duplex things. And they did the free thing. And I came home. I'm like, they took our fucking bikes too. Thank you for your fucking putting the free sign oh, out there. Oh, wow. Your bikes were out in front and they were like, They were oh, out, free? but cool. they happened to also be locked. So let's just say they decided that they should also. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know if they assumed up. that sign meant yeah. those locked bikes were free. <laughs> no, they didn't assume. They just assumed that they wanted them. And oh, since yeah. they were already there taking all the other stuff, hey, I just happen to have some lock cutters with us. Why don't we take the What if the that other? was one of the free things we were giving away, bolt cutters? And then yeah. they like, hey, these, <laughs> these work let's test them out oh, they snap these locks just right, fine free please try <laughs> feel free to use okay yeah that's uh that's annoying and what were you doing in chicago before you moved out here obviously you, you, unless la was you had family out here uh, but or did you act did you come out here like i just i want to do stand-up i want to act or whatever or were you already doing that back home well yeah i was doing stand-up you were, I, okay. was, I was you know, trying to do commercials. I had done a few commercials locally. One for Mickey's Malt Liquor. Oh my God, really? That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Big it mouths. Was, it was pretty great. The, the little grenades. Yeah. Uh, I wait. I you had, got to drink them while you were doing. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I had I had booked it through this place in Chicago who flew us to Vegas. Me and this other dude, and we we did these Mickey's Malt Liquor commercials with Forrest Griffin from UFC. 
Okay. Guy had giant hands the size of like dinner plates <laughs> could just crush your head. But we we just did this whole UFC fighting thing and and I was training my friend to fight Forrest Griffin and so they gave me these bottles of Mickey's, which they didn't sub out with water. It was warm Mickey's malt liquor. Like, all right. I was just kidding. They actually did not sub them out. No, they made made (laughs) me drink this warm malt liquor. It doesn't sound like you're having a problem with that. You were in Vegas. You're having a good time. And you had a guy with big meat hands that could kill you. I'd I'd like to point out, cast in Chicago, shot it in Vegas. (laughs) All right, go go ahead. (laughs) Finish the malt liquor story. Uh, No, that's I mean, that's it. Just to your point, I drank warm Mickey's malt liquor. It's not often people get hangovers from shooting a commercial. It was the. Worst. It's also not often. You're like they can't. It was it a TV ad? Uh, it was a a, a series, a digital web. Okay. promotion. Right. Gotcha. Well, no, t- if a, a full up TV ad, you couldn't. You can't drink you alcohol can't on TV. No, That's, yeah, they were yeah. playing fast and loose with that one for sure. Uh, but all they have to do is say that it's a, a limited series. It's a you know, it's still an advertisement, yes. But there's multiple shoots. It's on the internet. There's they they are there are ways around all that stuff. Yeah, this was definitely <clears throat> some non-union. Yeah, crap. sure. That's uh, your first thing, really. I, I was mean, like, hell yeah, free money because at the time I had a full-time job. I worked at a, a children's memorial hospital in Chicago as a molecular biologist good <laughs> god wait what <laughs> I, I understood the first part you lost me on the you second me part molecular jibber jabber molecular biologist so obviously so you where did you go to school uh what if he was I like start, i didn't i started no i just learned watching <laughs> i watched videos. youtube videos <laughs> uh i went to niu i started by going to northern That's, Illinois. uh tony romo's uh is that dekalb dekalb yeah you went there no my, my older brother went there uh, I know Cindy Crawford's from DeKalb as well. Oh, there's a lot of people from DeKalb. It's a pretty you know, big... good people, good solid folk. It's where barbed wire was invented. Oh, oh. wow! How about that? Uh-huh. <laughs> solid folk. I got lots. Really of helping DeKalb the prison facts. system. <laughs> uh, but I went there, and then I transferred to uh, FAU, Florida Atlantic University, in Boca Raton. Good lord, Florida, the rat's mouth. <laughs> Why did that, you go from Northern uh, Illinois to Because my Florida? parents got divorced and my mom was like, I'm out of here. And she moved down to okay. Fort Lauderdale. Right, that makes sense. And then uh, my dad had stolen my tax returns and uh, had opened up credit cards in my name. And I figured... You and your dad close? Yeah, real close. Okay. <laughs> close so, enough. He knows your social security <laughs> number. So I was like, uh, I should uh, not be around you anymore. Uh yeah, that was awful. I remember getting, because I filed uh, for my tax return. We take a little jaunt here to the left. But uh, I filed a tax return, and I was waiting and waiting for my check, and it never came. I kept asking my dad, hey, did you see my check? And he's like, nope. Is his name also Tony? No, it's okay. George. But, but he probably, it's still, how, how, so how old are you at that time? Boy, I was You were over 18. 19, 19. 19. Yeah. okay. But parents still have, he, in theory, can still... No, he, well, he theory, couldn't. No, it's illegal. What he did was very... Well, I'm not, saying, so I'm not justifying what your dad was. I'm trying to figure out how he was able to do it. I thought because oh, he was a parent, he was a, able to take the money. He's a scammer of some kind. No, I mean, no, he was a, just a dirt ball. So he, he found mean, a way to... So okay. he opened it up. He signed my name on the check. Oh, okay. Or he, I think he signed it over to himself. Uh, you know, because his... Hey, my son gave me this That's what money. I was trying to figure out, how he got away with it. So uh, yeah, I'm that, sure it was something like that. That's an easy way to do it. And so I called the IRS and they sent me, well, like, well, that check's been cashed and here's what it looks like. And oh it was my clearly, my dad was left-handed and had this very sweeping. Oh, writing. this is the first time you realized your dad was pulling some shit on you. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And then I 
there, I'd done a credit report because I was trying to open up a credit card and I couldn't because I had been dinged so many times because he'd opened like four credit cards up in my name and maxed them all out. Jesus Christ. So, so, but this really, this is your first inkling of like, maybe my dad's not cool. Or had your mom kind of said, no, my dad was always a okay. Okay. So you sort of knew the deal. He never had gone so far as to steal from you. Right. Literally steal from you. Mean to my mom. And I'm glad that she got out. But like, then I confront him. I'm at NIU and I call him on the phone after I find out because I'm livid and I, I call him up. We have this screaming match and everyone's looking out of their doors in the residence hall like, what's going on? And he tells me not to come home anymore, that he can't believe that I've accused him, quote unquote, of this. Oh, yeah. And so my brother, when you know we were still getting along, he had to go get the rest of my stuff from my dad's house. And uh, that was it. Like, I just stayed with my sister and was like well fuck it i guess i'll go down by my mom you know? so are, are you not getting along with your other brothers and sisters because they still take your dad like are they still no, my dad's with dad? dead but uh when I, did he pass away he passed away in 2002 okay. so we didn't speak for years actually and then i moved back to chicago and he tried to have a reconciliation and then he died like the beginning of the following year so uh it's just weird. It's yeah. a weird thing, but um, yeah, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. It's just, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's just like the meanest thing my dad ever did to me was like tell me I couldn't go to my friend's house because I got caught drinking the night before. You know what I mean? Like it was normal, normal punishments. I, he never opened credit cards in my name. Oh no, yeah, and he did it to my brother too, whose name is also George. So it was, Ugh. he he did it to my brother just as bad because he could he could start taking. But my brother refused to believe how bad a person my dad was and you know till the day he died i think was in this denial and then i think then something turned in him where he he didn't want to talk ever about my dad after he died and that he'll never visit his grave and it's it's very crazy how many wow. how many kids in your family uh just a brother and a sister brother and so a sister. Three. my sister and i are very close yeah my sister gets along with everybody how what's the age difference between the three of you i'm guys? the youngest okay uh, my sister is six years older six years older okay and my brother is two years older all right so he's oh, okay. the in-between he's, he's in between. okay yeah so you know he's kind of like the middle kid who, yep. you know i don't know he's he all his life is sports and coaching and <laughs> if you ever talk to him that's all you're going to talk about okay. he doesn't care about what you're doing unless it pertains to sports and or his coaching and mom still lives in florida uh no she moved to north carolina by my sister okay who, her husband is a golf professional oh sweet he is the coach at this uh college in fayetteville uh north carolina and he's led he led his team to several national titles oh uh Gosh, what's the name? It starts with an M. I think it might just be Methodist University. We'll uh, take it. We'll believe you. But We're not going to Google this. Say, I'm not going to look it up. But uh, guys, if you want to <laughs> fact check me, yeah. go on Snopes.com. You know what's funny with the amount of stuff we have available to fact check people? I'm surprised how many people are like, I'm not fact checking. I'm not, oh, I'm not look, looking into this. I don't want to know the truth. Yeah, exactly. Know. Here's the deal. It, just if if you're saying it, I'm going to go with what you're saying. No, no, I have no reason to b- not believe. You don't think I don't that believe we believe your dad <laughs> stole your stuff? It's not you're a, a liar. I think it's bigger than that. I think there's there is a huge disconnect right now with the amount of information that you can find out and how we choose to not even bother. Just in general, not even just your story, which would still be a little bit harder, I think, to fact, fact check. check your personal history. Sure, but just broad stroke stuff where people are like, man, I wish. 
I wish I would know for sure. I'd be like, really? You wish you would know for sure? Give a phone or an internet seconds. or that's right. But yeah, you know, I, I, I'll, it's so funny because you're right. Like, um, I, uh, I'll. I won't look up stuff that might be important, but then the most inane nonsense, like, hey, who was the backup singer on it? Oh, yeah, it was uh, Paul Abdul did that. It was weird. She, and, but, but, I, but if it's like, how does a bill become a law? I'm like, I don't know. Who cares? I'm not writing any bills. <laughs> so you must have, were you a studier, or when did you all of a sudden decide you are going to be doing molecular, molecular biology? biology. Uh, and what is that, by the way? <laughs> Forgive my ignorance. Because my brother also, my brother, you know, I uh, I think he, he works on trying to cure cancer, and he's also a guy that kind of yeah, did that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just dealing with, uh, you know, DNA and mm-hmm. uh, on a molecular small level of biology where you... You're just, you know, you're you're building these vectors, which are. <laughs> sorry, I, uh, all these terms. Uh, you, <laughs> he said one thing. I'm take, like, nerd. <laughs> you take uh, you take bacterial bacterial DNA, and you can they can remove all the toxic uh, genes on that, and then now it becomes a delivery system of genetics. Okay. So then you put chromosomes and uh, and or genes of interest on the this DNA, and then you can insert it into. Uh, animal embryos to see how that affects uh, human. Were you was that wow. a thing for you in high school and stuff like that? Were you really good at all that stuff, or what, just out of no, curiosity, like what was your trajectory? To, I wanted to be. So my degree is uh, it's marine and molecular biology. Okay, because I uh, I'd always been interested in the ocean, even though I lived in Chicago. The Shedd Aquarium to me was the most fascinating place I'd ever seen. It's also one of the better. Uh, aquariums in the world is it, it is not? it's one of the the oldest ones in the United States uh, and when they built it they were still shipping seawater up from Florida via boxcar which I think is is fascinating but uh, it's beautiful it's just a beautiful building uh, they've got an oceanarium in there with dolphins and beluga, beluga whales, whales yeah. Yeah. which yeah. they had trouble keeping alive yeah. for a long time but uh, I remember on my senior ditch day my girlfriend and I we went downtown and we went to the Shedd Aquarium of all places, and it was the first time I saw a beluga whale penis. Oh man! <laughs> and I couldn't those things it. are crazy. It looked like a forearm. It looked like a, a forearm. A, Don't they look like like almost like full, like almost like a dolphin to, underneath uh, them? <laughs> me, like a real like skinny had dolphin. Their forearm in wet paint, <laughs> and it was just dangling from this animal. <laughs> and I just remember just a mouth. <laughs> Mouth agape. <laughs> it's a, it, you look it, at your girlfriend, you're like, Justin, I'm average. <laughs> she had to pull me away from the window because I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, do you see this <laughs> Your thing? hands up on it. Your mouth is open. Everyone's like, Holy. you know, you can't put your like mouth on that. ushering their children out because this one beluga whale, he wanted that, he wanted that female. Oh, man. Chasing her around just like it was like just a rocket. He was ready to launch underneath. That oh. thing is, you know, the th- that's when you realize, I mean, like... <laughs> oh Built for survival, right? Like that thing is no joke. This this must happen in order for the, for the for our race. It must be this powerful in order for us to survive. If I was like a beluga whale, I could talk, and we had to get get going. I'd just lower it and be like, "Hold on!" And then we'd, we'd just speed away. They didn't put that in Aquaman. <laughs> the deleted scenes. I have the power to that, command beluga whale erection. That'll be that'll be in the porn parody. That's Aquaman triple X. This isn't. Aquaman. <laughs> Let's get Brian Schneider on it immediately. Yeah, so I, I love... Oh, Max. <laughs> Max, sorry. I'll have him write the script. 
Um, so, all right. So that, yeah, that all that all that makes sense. So you do all that, but it, and it, it, were you, was this the classic college thing? I'm pretty good with the words. Funny guy, I want to try out the stand up thing, or how do you go from? So yeah, so yeah, beluga was, whale dicks to well, not that, <laughs> but you obviously went to Florida. You graduated from Florida yeah, and, and I came worked, back home. I worked. Uh, Cleaning, aqu- <laughs> I, I got a degree in molecular and marine biology, and I end up cleaning aquariums. But in Florida, uh, you were by able the to way, like- right there. That's why they wonder how do students get in debt, right? <laughs> I was, I was at one point, I was twenty thousand dollars in debt from school, which is in the grand scheme isn't that much, but it was because I decided to go to grad school because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. So I was like, well, I'll go to grad school and waste more money on this thing. And I went for a year, and then I was like, I don't want to do this because it was right around. Uh, actually, I started to go to grad school. I got an opportunity to live in Grand Cayman for a year. And so I lived in the Caribbean for a year. And that's where you hands-on right, scuba diving. I got to dive whenever I wanted, and uh, I ran a 30,000-gallon aquarium in this Whoa. facility that probably doesn't exist anymore because the owner was a dickhead. <laughs> But it was called Aqua World, and it was a mall built around this giant aquarium that was designed by MIT grads because, you know, that amount of weight on the second floor of a structure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Dangerous. Uh, it's, you know, you're talking, let's see, 30,000 times eight is the amount of weight, just the water alone. And then you've got to figure in the frame of this. And so they had to reinforce the the whole second floor structure with these iron cross beams that were, you know, rated to withstand a category eight earthquake, Jesus. even though they would never have one. But it was like, I had to go underneath this tank. So wait a minute. So you were the entertainment? I was, I would, I would maintain the aquariums and also give daily presentations because we what had, was in there. We had sharks. Okay. Whoa. Stingrays, uh, moray eels, uh, and other just random tropical fish that I had caught on the reef. Did you do one of those things they do some of the aquariums? You're actually talk. You're in the tank talking, or are you outside the tank? I was talking? on top looking down. There okay, was a metal grating. It was all open. You could look in from the top. Okay, but no one would see that part because I was, you know, or it was obscured by the the top. It was about, I'd say, eight feet tall. Did you start like throwing 30, zingers like in back then? Long. Did you start throwing zingers in to kind of, in that where you kind of saw, hey, you know what? Yeah, I would make jokes, but also. Uh, <laughs> One day I was I actually still have a scar on my finger On this finger there's a little gash But I was feeding the sharks And I was talking And my finger Was just dangling A little bit in the water <laughs> I had looked over to, to answer a question Then I go And cause they're like Fucking razor blades yeah. It's uh, like being sliced Several of them in a row And I have this little scar on my finger How from big was the shark? It was uh, it was about a okay, about three or like four a feet, four and a half foot. It was a nurse shark, thankfully. Okay, but boy, teeth still hurt. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Damn, you were bit by a shark. I was like, so I. You're a shark attack survivor. That. that used to be like that was like a conversation piece when I was when I was uh, trying to you know impress, impress ladies. a lady. Yeah, <laughs> like I've been bit by a shark. Uh, uh, <laughs> did, did the did the audience laugh? It's like a large cat. Did the audience laugh at your shark. at your shark shark biting gag? Well, they saw like drip of red in the <laughs> they water. Knew. The sharks are going crazy because well, oh, they smell right. it. They dripped blood into it. So I was like, we're gonna take a quick break. <laughs> just in blood was just running down my hand, and I was like, well, excuse me, coming through, coming through, help. 
I wonder how the people there tell that story to this day. Gosh. He was almost, his hand was almost to rip so we're at his arm. We're at this mall. I tried to keep it like low key. I mean, obviously, you they want say, to well, we're going to take a break. Uh, but I don't know if anyone noticed really that I've oh, been okay. bit. Uh, but I sure as hell did. Just another day on the job, folks. Just another day on the job. Sometimes I think that none of this is real, that I imagined living there and had this crazy life that seems a million miles away from what I do now, but uh, I have pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Doctored photos. There's doctored photo (laughs) proof. Photoshop. Uh, yeah. So you did that for a year, so and I then you were for a year. I I fell in love with a girl down there, back in Miami. Oh, okay. And so that just made me homesick because you're stuck. The island's only 26 square miles. Wow, that's not very big at all. And so I just was like, I gotta get out of here. This is the island life isn't for me. Although I enjoyed my time there. I, I feel like I could I could adapt to that, and the island life. Might I don't know. Have you seen me. Jaws 3D? <clears throat> yeah, it's okay. pretty awesome. There's just so much more I wanted to accomplish in life. Yeah. And I felt like I could hang out there and live the island life and then just fade away. <laughs> but I just, something, I just knew that there was something missing. And so I went back to Florida and I started working with sea turtles on the beaches there. There was a sea turtle program and uh, 9-11 happened. So this is back 2001. And I was on the beach at that morning, and I, I just was like, "Man, it's, it's real quiet." Cause oh, because you would hear all the, the you hear the airport. It's not that far away, and you'd usually just regularly just hear airplanes, and then it just stopped at some point. And I was like, "Well, that's odd," because I'd get there. I mean, I got there at like five a.m., and then I'd be done by nine a.m. And so I got in my car, and I I turn on the radio, and I hear Howard Stern talking about. This uh, this thing that happened with buildings being hit with planes, and I was like, "This isn't funny. This is terrible." And then I realized, "Oh shit, this is." He's serious, yeah. And so I got home. I turned on the TV, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I called my sister in Chicago, and I was like, "What's happening?" And then I just thought, "Man, life's too short." I I knew that I didn't want to be doing what I was doing, and I always wanted to entertain people because my goal out of high school was me and my best friend were going to do Second City and. That didn't happen because he's like, well, I got to get a uh, degree in uh, electrical engineering or some shit. And so we never did it. But then this happened and I was like, well, fuck it. And two weeks later, I drove up to Chicago and started taking improv classes. So I think that was that was a spark under a was a fire under a lot of people's asses to to just kind of look around and go, you know, any one of us could have been affected like been killed by something like that so it's like yeah it's so ooh, random yeah why, why why wait around and 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 worry so much about well you know i gotta get my 401k and i gotta get this and i gotta get that next and before i could ever go out to la i need to not nah, just fucking go yeah i mean it was also our generation's thing where you realize oh okay so the world is a real place with real yeah. shit going on because you know we kind of you know there was really in we our had lifetime nothing, we, we had nothing posting. There was really nothing. I mean, there was always these mild threats of other things elsewhere. Yeah. Like nothing. Nothing right in our own yard that was like, oops. No, you know, and and it's interesting. When I look back at my life to this point, it's been events like that have been the the catalyst to to make me do the thing I really want to do. So, like, I realized, wow, life is short. Anything can happen, and 
you know, if I don't get to do it, then I'll be really, well, I'll be dead, but also I'll be pissed off that I didn't do it up until that point that I'm dead, then it right. doesn't matter. Right. So I, I moved back to Chicago and I started doing stand up and improv. And and that was a good scene. How was that scene? It was right great. Around like there? we actually. This is 2001, 2002. So 2001, it was kind of at the, the, the beginnings of like this new comedy boom that happened in the early 2000s. And at the time in Chicago, mm-hmm. there's really only one club. Zanies. It was after the scene had crashed because, in I think the eighties yeah. and early nineties, there were many clubs and they all nope, just went sort out of burnt business. out. Yeah. Zanies was the only one that had held on, and so between Zanies and this show called the Lincoln Lodge, which was created by Mark Geary and had been going for a few years, and this other show called the Elevated, there were really no shows of note. There were just like coffee shop shows and. And almost open mic ish. Yeah, yeah. And there was this this open mic called uh the Lion's Den, which anyone who was anybody who started in Chicago always went to this place. So uh that's where I actually had begun doing stand up and you know, now I look back, I got to do it with Kamel Nanjiani and T J Miller, who probably <laughs> shouldn't be mentioned anymore. Uh but uh, you know, these guys CJ Sullivan, Nick Batterot, and uh Hannibal Burris. Yeah, there was there like a lot of people because I started doing comedy out here in 2000, and those names like people were like, "Oh, you're from Illinois? So did you go you go out Lincoln Lodge?" I'm like, "No, I'm from the suburbs, and I barely I went into the Chicago for like Blues Fest. You know what I mean? Like Grateful Dead concerts, yeah. like Cubs games, stuff like that. Like I was never I didn't do any comedy in Chicago. I didn't know." That you could just go downtown to a show, sign up at a like I, that. It was so far removed from my thinking. Like when I was driving out to LA, I was like, maybe I'll get involved in movies. <laughs> do you know what I know? This honestly, is a thought halfway through. This is literally. I was just trying to get somewhere to do something else and be. And I've always loved the idea of California. I've only been here. I would only been here once as a, as a child. But like I'd like the idea of LA or of Southern California, California in general. But my friend being with me and being like, yeah, well, let's do it together. We might be able to get set dressing jobs. I was like, oh, the entertainment industry. Like, you know, I love movies. I love TV. My buddy's uncle's a director. Maybe he'll get into directing. Maybe I could be an actor because I like to act. I acted in plays when I was a kid. Like, that was my thought process. It wasn't like, I'm going out there. I'm going to write a script. I'm going to start doing stand-up. I didn't even know. Like, like, again, I say this all the time, but my mom had to tell me to go on stage. She'd be like, well, you're funny. You like stand-up. Why don't you go tell a j- tell jokes? And I was like, I don't think that's how it works. And then I'm like, oh, I look at LA Weekly. I'm like, that's it. How else could it possibly work? Oh, my work? God. Your you mom go. had to teach you how it works? Dude, she didn't know. She didn't know how it works. She was no, just she like, clearly did know how it works. Just try it, Johnny. <laughs> well, it was just, it was one of those things. I was like, oh, I guess. And then I immediately was like. like your brother? And part, yeah, that's never been said. Um, <clears throat> but. But the idea that, like, I could, you know, even in high school, I could have been going downtown. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Once I had a driver's license, I could have been going downtown to do stand-up. It just wasn't like... Well, how far out of the city was... 40 minutes, 40 45 minutes. minutes. I, I mean, mean, I guess in Chicago, that's a long way. It is drive. a lifetime away. In L.A., it's not. But in the Midwest, it was. So I was like, 40 minutes? That's like, we've had that. Whoa. We've had this conversation, like, the last four episodes have been Brian going, 45 minutes is a day trip for people in yeah, the Midwest. It's it like, is. pack a lunch. We're not yeah. going to be back for a while. Like, here, it's how long it took me to get to Brian's if to you, do this like, podcast. If you told a normal that you, a normal. you literally drove two, two and a half hours somewhere with a couple people to do seven minutes of stand-up and then got back in a car and, and drove two and a half hours up, home, yeah. They'd be like, what? 
Yeah. What? Well, people why are here to do you? that to me when I say I go to Vegas. I've been to Vegas and back on the same day to do stand up, and they're like, "Why?" I'm like, "Because I don't like Vegas." Oh. But you know what I mean. But like that's yeah, that's one of the things exactly. that you, you change your mindset when you do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, so you you messed around with that. So these are the clubs yeah. that you messed around with. Yeah, that's crazy. I just can't believe that John had not done any of those before he came out here. Yeah. I I just felt I guess lucky I was in the city at the time, living in the city, working in the city where there was this scene that was kind of burgeoning, and so my uh, my first wife and I. Uh, oh my. Wow, learning learning some new things about T Bone. You and I are way more similar. Than <coughs> Multiple uh, wives. Yes, I was, I've been married twice. What? We'll get into. Okay, that. you and I are no longer similar. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yet, yet. So I I was married to another comedian who I'm sure you know who she is. Uh, she uh, her name's Brooke Van Poplin. Oh, that was my first wife. <laughs> is this going to okay. get awkward, John? Oh. No, no, no. Uh, I just, I did, I honestly did not know that. So, do you yeah. just like marriage, or I love <laughs> just giving half of my stuff away? <laughs> but great for the set. That's right. Great for comedy. Uh, but yeah, so we had started this show together uh, called Chicago Underground Comedy, and we gathered up all the people we thought were the best comics in the city. So Kamal was a part of it, and. You know, Mike Bridenstine and yeah. Mike Holmes and all these Chicago All dudes. very funny Hannibal people that he's, in it briefly. Ch- that he's mentioning. If you don't know who they are, check them all out. Uh, but we, from nothing, created this scene. Like, you know, people can argue about if the Lincoln Lodge was this, this creating of this scene. But I would say to that that before we came along with Chicago Underground, no one was actually actively promoting it to the entire city. So... We thought, well, we need to get the word out if more people know that this thing exists and it's not this word like just this quiet this quiet yeah. thing that happens here at this restaurant. This is this is at this bar called originally at Gunther Murphy's. And we were like we got a sponsorship, I think it was Amstel Light or, or somebody, but they funded us giving us all these flyers and, and we created this kind of punk rock poster and we stood at the L stops just handing them out to people as they got off the trains and we postered neighborhoods and got... You promoted. We promoted. We were actively promoting, which the Lincoln Lodge didn't do. Right. You were pro- I'm sorry. You were promoting before the internet. That's right. Essentially. So, there no, was no Evites. There was no Facebook post. handed a flyer, but the Mitch Hedberg joke. The Mitch Hedberg right. joke. Hey, always, throw this away for me. Every time someone hands me a flyer, it's like them saying, hey, you throw this away. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think we would say that to people as we were giving out. Like, hey, hey, throw this, you away, throw this away, for away for me. <laughs> Had you ever thought of putting missing on it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, I came up with that premise earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke I wrote right before we did this podcast. Uh, yeah, and it was it was just something like everybody got banded together and we were just, we had these these shifts where we would each pick an L stop and just bombard people with these things. We went to all these places and postered everywhere. And, and then we got the, you know, uh, the Chicago reader to write about us. We got the onion AV club to write about nice, uh, the show. And, uh, it just, we were packed every Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, yeah, at 8 Tuesday. PM That's in crazy. Chicago. Tuesday's a good of. night for comedy. I know that sounds it crazy, is, but it's but a still, good night for comedy, time, but still who, would have thought that a comedy show in Chicago, 8 p.m. on a yeah. Tuesday, would draw anybody. Yeah. yeah, and we were, and we had like pizza sponsorships, and and you know, I had, I think Brooke and I had the joint idea to get 
like sponsorships and giveaways and we had raffles at the beginning because you could we had some really nice prizes like we had restaurants giving us gifts or we went around the neighborhoods just saying hey would you give us we're 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 trying to start this thing and would you give us like a dinner or something and and we got all these things and do do you think that was because of the time and where you were being midwest being that time like 2000 early 2000s meaning like I feel like I could walk if I walked around. Like, hey, I'm doing a show. Would you want to give me get out of here? Like, oh yeah. Like, do you think that's more of a Midwestern? Like, oh, you're doing yeah, gift certificates. Here you go. That people were more willing to cooperate, or do you just think it was because of your beautiful smile uh, and your I winning don't know. personality? Well, I generally, I mean, I have a way of just people. I I feel like I'm uh, I'm very likable. <laughs> He almost died from a shark attack. That's a good if point. If he know. starts with that, good point. And he Sorry. saved turtles. That's yeah. right. I didn't mean to I interrupt. I almost died by shark. Could I have a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> so there's this great pizza place called uh, Chicago's Pizza, which uh, they were a relatively new chain, but they were gave us six or seven pizzas every week. Big ones, and we just gave free pizza away. That's nice. So obviously, all the comics started coming because they knew they'd get free pizza. <laughs> Hey, that, but that's that's but enough to keep someone like, back. For five dollars, I will get a comedy show, free pizza, yeah. and a chance to win like a nice a dinner, prize, or yeah. which like so we, the raffle you'd pay a dollar for these things that we get, had given to us, but that money then went back into the show, and we could pay the performers like twenty five dollars. That's got that had to be huge, yep. yeah. And it was like we'd create this little club, which you know at the time the real comedy club. In the was not pleased. City was not happy that we'd created this movement, and I was naive and young. And at the time, I was trying to speak out against the establishment. I look back and be like, "What are you fucking talking about?" Because I was like, "I want to create something new and different." And I got interviewed for this thing in the AV club, which a lot of the guys never let me live down because uh, this AV club article was supposed to be about the show, and I was doing this fundraiser called Stand Up. Stand up for leukemia because my grandfather had just died of leukemia, and I was very sad. And so I wanted to do something for the Leukemia Research Foundation. So I it was twenty five dollars for the show, and uh, I got the uh, the AV Club to write about it. But I gave them a picture that I had constructed of all of us, like in a grid of all our faces and our logo, Chicago Underground, and I gave it to them. They said, well, this is too dark. We can't use this. And I was no Photoshop expert back in 2003. I was like, look, you're lucky you got this. I don't don't have any other pictures of us as a group because we just didn't, and there was no way to get everyone together. So they're like, well, do you have a headshot or something? Oh, my God. I was like, yeah, but... I guess, and so it was like an article about, like, they had interviewed me. And so they put a picture of me in this polka dot tie. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, your no. headshot from 1989. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. And so then they never let me live it down because no, they thought can't. that I had taken credit for everything. Oh, oh they were, okay. I thought the they were just going to make the fun matter of this, is, the, is the that photo. I I didn't have anything else to give, her. and they specifically asked me like, "Well, we talked to you. Let's, I guess, make it about you." What about a wedding photo? Because I'm assuming this is what ended the relationship. Well, no, we've been doing the show, and then we got married. But okay, uh, 
I don't want to talk. I just can't anyway. Uh, but well, we get to get back to the polka dot tie in a second. Yeah, we'll let's talk about the wardrobe choices. That, <laughs> like, yeah, like people were mad in the group about it because yeah. they thought that I had claimed all the credit. But you know, one Brooke and I at the time were we were shouldering all the work because we had to produce it and run it and try to wrangle. Try wrangling 16 comedians Oof, to, to do anything. To do anything. And it's, it's, be, you can't even wrangle them to do spots. It's that's like, right. <laughs> you know. So uh, it's an interesting time when I look back at it because, you know, I, I'm sure I was resented for many reasons because they're like, well, who's this fucking guy and why is he, why is he running this thing? You know, like, because everyone's always like, well, why not me? Why him? And so, you know, and, and to that I say, I could have put myself up on every single show. Yeah. Like I could have made it all about me, but I didn't. I kept it fair and I rotated everyone. So I would perform every fourth week. And oh, wow. So you wouldn't even go up for not three every or show. Four I would just yeah. produce it. And then I would, you would, you would either do a slot or you'd be the host. And so yeah. I, I kept rotating it. So everybody would host <coughs> eventually, but also, everybody would be spread out because the idea was that you'd want to have a new set by the next time you came up because we had lots of people keep a lot of repeat back. customers and so, and you know paper, what though? it was genius I was like wow I'm a pretty smart dude you know what though but it, I, I ran shows out here for years that's just part of the it, it comes with the territory man once you start the show someone's always trying to take you out at the knees for something you do and it's kind of just comes to the no, territory I know. I came to and you just kind of go whatever I came to terms yeah. with it I was like because, you know, I was of very thin skin, I think, at the beginning. And I just was like, oh, why don't they like me? I, oh, boy. I, I do oh, all this geez, for them. Blah, yeah, I yeah. do all these things and now they hate me. I was like, then it was like, wait a minute. I did all these things for those people. <laughs> yeah, and they hate Who me for it? a fuck, fuck off. Yeah. So, did you do that all the way until you moved out here or no? Uh, I, I did. Oh, okay. I, I, did I you ran. hand the show off? I did. Uh, and you know, I kind of resent, I, I looking back, I wish I would have just ended it because, you know, someone did an article taking credit for it as great as it was when we were all doing it, like with that core group, I, I actually saved the show because Gunther Murphy's closed. Uh, I had split from Brooke and it was like, well, should I just kill it or? move it somewhere else and so once that bar told me they're like hey look we're going under and we're going to become like some soccer bar and i was like okay and so comedy and soccer called the beat kitchen wow which was an even bigger name place yeah and gunther murphy's and it's been around for it's a staple in yeah, chicago it's it's just down the street on belmont but <clears throat> it was even better for us because we got i think goose island to sponsor that show jesus and uh it just got bigger and better. The, the room was even bigger than Gunther Murphy's, and we started filling that up. And it just became this thing where, you know, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And and then I felt like, well, I'd like to be involved with it still, but also I'm living out in California, and I don't know how to really make Keep that running work it, yeah. like, unless I turn it into like some actual company 
But I had no one. I had no idea how to do that, and two, I didn't have any interest. I was going to say, man, that like, doesn't. That's why not why you're getting into comedy. It's not helping me. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you'd already fallen down the stairs twice. So you, you, you know, you, <laughs> you were like, I'm out. You gotta, you gotta do think about you your back at this point, I man. Gotta, for God's sake, lower lumbar. That's yeah, you're right. doing this podcast with so much ibuprofen in you. It's crazy oh just God, to survive. I got an IV <laughs> this is like this is like cortisone shots in the knees of. Oh, I used to have IV bags. John used to think that I kept IV bags for hosts or guests at the place because I actually had. One hanging up one here. Oh, I had a, I had a, I had a cat and kidney failure, and I left the IV bag up here. Oh. And, uh, and our guest was Garrett Morris, who's so like John eighty-five thought, years John old. Thought I was feeding Garrett. An I was IV like, does Garrett need an IV bag like to the, do the show? Like, looked like it was in him. Well, it was I like the know. thing was coming down, and I just like I walked in and I saw it. And I was like, don't say anything, don't say anything. <laughs> and then I was like, I sat down, I was there the whole time, and then he gets up. And like, by the way, the car he gets driving, like he is, he's so funny. Garrett is, is the nicest dude, but like, he's awesome. and then he gets, his, his niece was the one driving him and whatever. Yeah. And he gets up and he leaves and I'm like, oh shit, he forgot his IV bag. <laughs> like, uh oh, I hope that doesn't uh, affect his health or whatever. And then Brian's like, you thought I had an IV bag? I go, he's like, well, maybe I should have taken it down. I go, I don't know. I was just confused. That's all. I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't upset. Fool. I was just like, if he needs you the IV fool. bag. Well, I was, I was like, I appreciate this guy going, coming to do our podcast when he IV. can't travel without an IV sack. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we're mean, good, but we're not guy. that fucking yeah. <laughs> We've got some guy. listeners, but it, it's, not worth, it's not worth putting your health um, at risk. So when you came out here, uh, the priority was stand up, or was that, or was the priority like more of the try to get some commercial work, acting well, work, pay the I, bill kind of thing? I honestly, I I always wanted to work in television. I I mean, I know, I believe that I am a funny guy, and I think that I'm pretty great on stage. But I I'm better, you, you stage. better believe those two fucking things if you're moving to Los Angeles, I right? I didn't think <laughs> that I could be a touring comic. Okay, because. You know, I was a little out there, and I didn't think that it was an act that would be work well on the road. You know, I did the road when I lived in Chicago, and it's just, it's different, because it's, you gotta, like, I have jokes that are for the masses, and then there's the jokes that I want to tell. Right. And I couldn't tell the jokes I want to tell on those shows, and I didn't want to compromise, but I knew in L.A. I could tell those jokes, because I knew that people in the city like this would get it and mm-hmm. so uh i thought well maybe i can trans transfer this idea of jokes on stage to a career in television and so you know i just kept asking people for work and for years i just worked at a coffee shop but then i met some guy who'd come in and he thought i was funny and so he offered me a job to run this website called haha jk <laughs> that was uh, the vehicle that which Jamie Kennedy would be the face, and that it was this funny fake news site where Jamie Kennedy was like a big part of it, and he was the JK, the haha. What Kennedy. can I ask? What year this was? This was. Uh, it began, I believe, in two thousand ten. Okay, so long after his show had been off the air, the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Yeah, like because I was a PA on that he show. Still did stuff. But no, he's been doing. He's been a touring stand-up since before that, right? You I know, mean, yeah. Son of the Mask was probably not the best. It was not. I'm it. sure he would agree with you. I, mean, I don't think he's but trying to pump that up. He had been doing all right. I he had lived. In, I'd seen his house. He had on Fairfax. Uh, no, he'd lived up in by uh, Griffith Park. By Griffith Park, yeah. House. It was very nice. He'd sold it a few years ago, but um, he had like the script from all his. 
Screams. Movies, the screams. Scary movies. Stuff on no, the screams, wall. screams. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I always enjoyed him. And so the fact I was like, I got to meet him and I was like, wow, it's Jamie Kennedy. But he really had nothing to do with the website, just by name only, because he, one, didn't want to put any effort into it. And, and that's fine. But uh, I was like, wow, I have a job in entertainment which it's for this website that probably no one doesn't matter though you were making content you were getting to use your humor of articles over like a two and a half year period i just i wrote everything and it was just by staff i'd put haha jk staff and then i eventually got other people to contribute and we couldn't really pay people so it was like here 15 bucks for this this crummy article and and I was having a good time, even if no one was reading. It, <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying it. I was. It's just building. St- a, it's building work. It's building muscle. It's you're doing something. Yeah, so. I yeah. would take real news stories, and then I would change them and make them like comical. Yeah, funny things. So I would take this really small little like real story, and then I would say, I don't know. I would just tweak it in a way that it was now bullshit, but it was just like the Onion. But you know, they had the market cornered on that, so. This is what they wanted to do, and then when no one was going to it, they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna just remove the whole thing from the internet." And I said, "Wait a minute! Can I get thousands of things that were written on this site, and you're just gonna just get rid of every one of them? Like you can't archive it or anything?" And they said, "No." So I tried to save what I could, but it was also podcasts. I produced all these podcasts, like Michelle Buteau and uh, Guy Branham had a podcast on there, and. Uh, Jason Nash, uh, and all of it gone. Wow! Like that, and so I was like, so I was like, uh, well, I guess I didn't do anything for the last. Oh, <laughs> well, that sucks. But it I was mean, pretty awful. I was really upset about it. But um, I had met Jason Nash and this guy Jeff Bumgarner, who was his friend, who had uh, worked at this production company. Jeff was kind of a big a big wig over there. He was a VP of development. And so I just kept him in mind, but I was able to land a job on ridiculousness. I, I worked for two seasons on that. And, and, uh, from there I, I went to original and started producing, uh, some reality shows like uh, storage wars spinoff. And then I just jobs kept coming. And so I was able to build this nice resume of production okay and i enjoyed it because i was making television regardless of not whether you like the television right that's what i came here to do yeah and i was very happy and and proud and and i've been able to stick with it and i get to still do comedy but the fact that i was able to make a living doing production work i to me, like I've succeeded then doing the thing I set out to do. I was right. going to say it's also it's 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 also because it's a rare, it's it's a much more rare thing than people might imagine that that people who are also out here you know pursuing acting and stand up and whatever will get a job on the other side of the camera. You know what I mean? Most of those people, a lot of people, will just take other day jobs so that they can support this this dream they're chasing. Whereas like I thought once I got involved in production, I was like, Oh, what a great way to stay involved in entertainment. Even when I don't have gigs, even when I can't get out on the road, even when I, you know, I'm not booking anything, I can still go to work and produce or write or help make some TV that again, whether it's your thing or not, 
I get to help make it. And that's exciting and fun and interesting and not boring to me, you know? So, but, but it's a rare thing that like someone like you, who, who is very funny and could easily, uh, work towards being on the road. If that was what you wanted to do, do you know what I mean? But knowing that, that you're like, yeah, you can say whatever you want in LA. You can go to New York and do comedy. You have friends all over the country that you could stop in at cities and do sta- do stand up. but also you're able to buy a house and, and live your life on TV money. Yeah. You know, I just had a conversation with myself at some point and was like, Hey, uh, I don't know if you're going to make a living doing stand-up. Right. <laughs> I mean, as much as you'd like it. And, you know, I I felt like I was good enough to, you know, I feel, honestly, I wish I could have got a, a late-night spot. There's still hope. I mean, I don't get Stand-up never goes away, though. You know what I mean? Like, you can right. do it until you're 97 years old. It doesn't, yeah, you know what I mean? it doesn't mean I'm never going to stop trying to get that <clears> late-night set. But I also was like, hey, buddy, you need to 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 have a plan B in place here. So you should start to build a resume in TV production. And so I, I talked with a friend who had worked in production a bit and, and just started to try and build a resume and, and then just start getting work. And so now I look back, my resume is now just filled of production work, but it's because I had the sense to, at that point in my life, be like, Hey, you can't work in a, coffee shop forever i mean right. you could if you wanted to but if you work in a coffee shop and you're listening to this no, it's that's okay, okay if that's but your... that for me it wasn't right for me so right. i was like man it came out here to do this thing and i need to i need to just do it had you ever thought about going back into the world you came from or that you were that you had separated At yourself first when i first moved out here i had applied to the aquarium in long beach okay and i yeah. had an interview there and uh, I had applied to a few biology positions and I just, to me, I, I felt like if I took those jobs, I wouldn't have been able to have the flexibility that I did with yeah. the coffee shop. And I would have probably been as ha- unhappy as I was in Chicago because like in Chicago, I was holding down this full-time job, the research position where I actually had a paper co-published in nature medicine. Jesus. Uh, wow! And we won't we won't look it up. We won't we won't try to search. I'll it. send you the link. <laughs> you, you are welcome to read it if if it makes any sense to anybody. Go for it. Uh, it's a light read. Well, I only ask that because it's it's funny as as time goes by. I moved out here in two thousand, so you know, I, I, especially in the parent circuit, it's amazing to me how I get to know these people and they start talking. I'm like, wait, you used to be an actor? Wait, you used to do stand? Like, right? And I forget, like they've. That's why I ask, because like a lot of these people, they go to college, they get these degrees, then they try to pursue it, right? They move out here and they pursue it. And I forget that some people eventually, they're like, I'm done pursuing it. <laughs> I'm now yeah. this guy. This, this is, is what, what I do now. now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm a teacher now. I don't even I don't even teach like acting. I just teach math. And you're like, wait a minute, you used to be you used to be a stand-up? Yeah, yeah. I just don't ever and like and the funny thing is they don't even look back on they don't even want to talk about it. Oh well, because it's still painful. It probably it's got either be, that or they literally have left it behind. They're like, there's something to be said for like, there's nothing you can really change about the past. I mean, there is nothing you can. No, change I don't about think past, anybody like, regret. I don't think anybody should ever regret making the attempt, even if you give up on it. You should no, never regret. Never. I, I don't dig deep enough for the new, but the, but I, I always, you know, because there's the the downside 
to having such a, a, a degree such as yourselves or some of the people that I know, the downside to it is it's always looming right there. So if things aren't going well, you can fall back on it. And sometimes when I talk to people, yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of that. It was, they, they jumped out because they had it and they could get out. Like when, when the, when the going got tough, they gave up, right? right? Well, they got my out. mom said for eight years that I lived out here. She's like, well, you know, you could always go back to science. And I was like, ma, it's been eight years. The industry has changed. Has really changed. If, 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 if there is an industry that's going to be light years ahead of where it was eight years ago, it's science. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Like things keep changing. Yeah. Things were changing while I was doing it. Yeah, it was hard to keep up while you were in it. Now you're going back on all well, these molecular biology Codes of change. Like, I don't sure, know what I you just talk jump about. Jump back in. <laughs> that's that a good try, though, John. Yeah. Lowered your voice. You got a little stiffer. I said the word codes after molecular people, biology. Smarter people are uh, very stiff. Imagine me with a monocle in uh, saying well, this. Well, I heard an episode where you said, what do you see? He said the word gen- genetrics or something, and you busted his balls on it. Uh, oh. It wasn't marijuana sticks? No, no. Because no. no, that was <laughs> I can't say. Oh, I is can't, it? Because I that's what he literally sing. called joints. Oh, I've been mocked mercilessly. I don't. That's what I. I thought they. That's what people called them. Oh, imagine this is your dad trying but to talk I, I to you about also, drugs. I mess up. I don't up want you with the marijuana. Sticks. I mess up words all the time. And then he told yes. me, "What did you say about?" It? He goes, "Is it? Uh, don't come around here with your. What'd you call it? Weed vapor? What did you call? You called the vape pen something? I don't know. Oh, it was so funny. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It. <laughs> no." I was shocked the first time I saw people doing cocaine. I was like, what's going on here? And then meanwhile, the other day, he sees it. I was well in my 30s by then when I saw people doing it. I was like. You know, can I be honest? I never, I didn't try marijuana until my late 20s. And I've never done any other drugs. Do you, did you still uh, smoke marijuana? No, it makes me feel real weird. Yeah. It makes I, I wonder if that's because you started so late in life. They, they do say you probably shouldn't be smoking marijuana until you're at least 21. <laughs> that is kind of like the newer thing that's come out. Like, no, it's, it's not bad for you, but in younger brains, it might yeah. sort it stops of... stops you in development. Where you started, that kind of you, keeps you in that... Well, that's, that's what I read anyway. No, I don't think that's true. So you're telling me someone starts smoking weed at like 15, 16 years old, they're 15, 16 forever? I mean, maybe. I, mean, I don't I think don't I'm... Know. I dated a few people who, <laughs> who acted like they had frozen in time. Yeah, I'm not like... I don't have a Peter Pan thing going on, though. You're not my dad, dad. <laughs> I know. I just basically get made fun of because I'm not really into drugs at all. So when I talk about them, I don't really talk in drug lingo or intelligent about Me it. And so you both. I get I get mocked mercilessly for like not even understanding the a strand of marijuana. But also then it. like then he has like weird things happen to him where he was like at a grocery store and some dude's doing or a coffee no, shop. Coffee some shop, right some dude's doing bumps on the off the table in the shop and Brad's like, I'm like Am how I much more this? do you need? You're getting coffee and you're you're doing coke out in public? Like that's oh, that's, that's high functioning. That is a little that's well, and he high was also leaning in and out of traffic <laughs> after he did a bump and I was I was just becoming fascinated. I, I guess I didn't try to save him either, but, you know, I mean. what, Dude, for, you don't want to talk to that guy. There's no, no, I, that was the whole thing. Hey, sir, uh, do you need help? I need you to get the fuck away I, from me. I will me. tell you, after he did it, I can't tell you how many times that motherfucker went in and out of his fucking briefcase just checking on things. Like, it was just oh, like. Oh, dude. You, I know. Well, cause I was like, where's the fun here? Yeah. Like, trying to keep oh, oh, dude, that's. And that, therein lies exactly what we said. Where's the fun here? Like, like when you start, when you do drugs, like, man, this should be fun. And then you see people like that, and you're like, that doesn't look fun. <laughs> It doesn't look fun 
at all. No, yeah, no, that looks really paranoid. Thing. I, one, I never wanted to lose control. That's personally why my dad had instilled in my head. That's the one maybe good thing he did. He just he put the fear of death into all of us. If we ever tried drugs or did drugs, he would kill all of us. <laughs> he said that. I think he literally said that. If you ever do drugs, I'll kill you. <laughs> it's like, well, it sounds better. That's a little bit much. Way. That's a heavy-handed uh, parenting that's, move. That's a little uh, bit much. So I just I was so afraid of ever doing it, so I n- I never did, and and I knew a lot of people who did, but I just was like I can't. Do, were I'll, you a I'll drinker die. underage or anything like that? You were never. No, because I was so afraid of my father that yeah. I just I couldn't, and I didn't I didn't get drunk until my twenty first birthday. Wow, it's okay. Your your, body, is, your body's okay with that. Just well, yeah, you know, your body's saying. First thank of all, you, you should probably never get drunk. Your body would be okay with that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I have beautiful skin. <laughs> oh, I, I thought, it was, I thought it was not soap. using it's, soap. Well, it's that, and I moisturize and water. I drink lots of water. Oh yeah, you got to drink water, just baby. I think I water. You're just pouring water on yourself. Uh, I water. Uh, Tony's a, an '80s rock video <laughs> every day of his life. That's right. But also, it, you know, I have an addictive personality, and I felt that. You know, Why do you say that? Because I, I, if I like something, then I can't get stop doing it. Yeah, I understand so what fine. you're saying. I know. I under when you say that, I understand that. That's like a thing when people say. I, I know for a fact if I get into this, it will not. I, I will be addicted to it. Eddie Pence. You just kind of yeah. You just know. You like you 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 know your body and you know your how your yeah, mind works. Like when I drink, if I start drinking, I I will drink well into excess because like you're not I, a one off guy. Wine like water and yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a really big beer person, but once I start drinking, I'll drink anything. Yeah. Uh, so, and my dad was an alcoholic and my mom, she had bouts with it. So I was like, well, I know my limits, so I just won't do it. But, you know, uh, I do know people and, you know, my girlfriend has people in her family who passed away from drug abuse and, and addiction. And I think it's, you know, we can all make jokes about, you know, drugs and whatnot but it it is serious and so sometimes whenever i hear talk like that i i i just in my head i think about you know these people who have died and i'm like oh god well i could never do any of this stuff so i just will never try anything yeah. that's safer it's a safer bet <laughs> drugs like look, I, look dude i i come from the ecstasy i'm the guy i came from the len bias era and when len oh, bias man. got the, the guy that got drafted that was the celtics it. or whatever cocaine will kill you if you try it one time cocaine will kill you that's what everyone thought from the len bias thing yeah. that that was the only time he'd ever done cocaine I, again i which just is, with the storyline scared the shit out of, of me course. never did coke that's but that's the storyline they sold like this was a, he was a star athlete he was an amazing human being he got drafted by the celtics he tried cocaine one time and his heart exploded and his right. heart exploded so that's all i heard growing up then you see like the documentary and people are like uh wink wink one time uh and also like probably had a pre-existing condition yeah and probably wasn't you know i mean a lot goes into that no way did this guy just do unless he's I'm, some weird you know point zero 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 one percent uh dna genetic something where it connects and it kills him. But I'm going like, to say, you know, later in life, especially after watching a guy with a suitcase do some blowing <laughs> coffee yeah, yeah. shop, I'm going to still go ahead and say <laughs> that, I don't have any need. No, no, exactly. Uh, to uh, check uh, my uh, luggage that frequently. And if that no. story helped you, then great. If it, because you know, I mean, I think the funniest thing is like I was one of the first classes that had the Dare program tried out on us. Oh, yeah. Cops came in, they're like, drugs are bad, and everyone. I'm in fifth grade, going, 
what? No one's even talking about what drugs. What are you talking about? Like literally there was no mention. I don't remember anyone. I remember a couple of my neighbors smoking cigarettes, me going nice jab dirt bags. And like I was on the, I was on the up and up. And then this guy starts passing around bags of fake weed and fake cocaine. They introduced. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so this is what it looks like. So I know that when I go to buy uh, an eighth of weed off Sean Ryan, that it's not going to be like, (laughs) it's not, it's going to, it's going to look like weed. You know, it was like, Failure. Oh, it was and such a, a failure. And, and the people that were in that, so many people that I knew from that, from my town, from that era, like, dude, there are people in jail. There are people that have killed people. There are people that are addicted to drugs right now. There are like, it was not a smooth, the way they did it to try to, the war on drugs. I mean, we could talk about that forever. It's a, it's, I can't. It's an offensive, I mean. <laughs> it's an offensive war. It's an offensive thing. The, the Reagan era, that whole thing is, was blown so far out of proportion that this part of the part brain. of the residual effect of that war on drugs is now people worried that they're thinking we need a wall at the border because drugs are coming in illegally. Drugs are coming in through the ports the pharma- of entry. They're coming in through the pharmaceutical and companies. through pharmaceutical companies and Doctor Kickbacks and all that shit. So it's like, wait, who's Doctor Kickbacks? Hi, I'm Doctor Kickbacks. Uh, I'll be <laughs> I'll be your physician. Uh, maybe you have a thousand dollars for me. Uh, Paging Mister Bax. Paging Mister Doctor Kickbacks. <laughs> Right? So you're saying we need to declare war on <coughs> prescription drugs. I Well, yes. I mean, we do. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're trying to take my Prilosec uh, away from me? Uh, I got heartburn, MFR. Again, being the guy that wasn't the stupid guy. So I had, I went to my dentist and I had, um, I had teeth problems and uh, they uh, were trying to fix, they were trying to numb my gums. And this is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. They're trying to numb my gums with the Novocaine, and he goes, do you still feel that? I'm like, yeah, I still feel that. He's like, well, I can't give you any more Novocaine. And so then he stops, because at that point, your heart, at some point, too much Novocaine will literally stop your heart. Your whole right? body will go numb and so stop working. So he said, we can't do any work on you today, because we can't give you any more Novocaine. So he goes, Mr. Irwin, I have to ask you a couple of questions. Do you do, do you do any drugs? Do you like smoke marijuana? Do you like he started going over these things? Yeah. I was like, are you a habitual needle user? Yeah, I was like, why are you not affected I, by it, this? Yeah, because he was trying to figure out why. Ultimately, it turns out because I'm Scotch Irish Italian, my uh, the nerves are all in the wrong places. It turns out in my mouth, so that he was missing, he wasn't getting them. They weren't. He was just poking Novocaine into your jawline. He wasn't hitting where they're supposed to be, like all this stuff, right? So then, is that a thing? Yeah, turns out. So then, yeah, he gives me. Before. So then they do all the. They they finally were able to do the work, right? And they give me. Uh, Vicodin, I come back, I'm like, dude, that doesn't work. I literally spent the day itching my chest. He's like, okay, that's, you're obviously getting a, a Yeah, reaction. Vicodin doesn't, isn't good and for so, some people. And so then they gave me extra stink Vicodin. I'm like, yeah, just that's, scratching twice as hard. Just, that's just more of the same more. shit. I'm like, I don't, and he goes, well, we don't want to give you Oxycontin. And this is when I found because out the thing. Because they thought, you uh, get, why not? Yes. <laughs> and that's when it turned into, not that he thought I was a druggie, but he was like, I dumb Brian. I'm like, I don't, what, what difference does it make? And he gave me the whole like black market street value. People come in, they tell you, oh, this isn't working. That was, the, they and want, that was the beginning of the that's Oxycontin. That's what they wanted. Phase. They wanted the Oxycontin. And I was like, <laughs> really? And I'm, I'm so, st- I'm just sitting there going, Really? This is what people I just want are going to fix. Well, They're Oxycontin, willing to go do all this to get that? Is that what Ridlin is? No, Oxycontin is more of a downer. It's more of like a synthetic type heroinish. <laughs> this is when I found out how bad it was. I, I was doing something with John. Do you remember this? 
and I was drinking uh, like uh, uh, iced coffees, and I was and I had, was taking the oxycot, and I was like, I was talking to John, and I was like, yeah, I feel really good, you know, like, really. <laughs> I'm like, I'm warm, I'm very focused. I'm feeling, and John's like, dude. What did you say? I was doing speedball. You said John's like, yeah, dude, you're jacked up right now. You're yeah, like, you're coffee, doing speedball. Coffee balls. and oxycontin is essentially a, a speedball because it's basically like caffeine or cocaine. And right or, away he goes, you speed. need to knock that off right yeah. now. And you said, no, you need to get the fuck out of yeah. my house. <laughs> you don't tell me what I need to do. Get out of here. And then you like <laughs> pour a phone book in there. <laughs> But yeah, I remember he was like, he was like, no, nah, I just feel really. I mean, it was like, it was literally like, dude, am I in a meeting right now? Like, you're clearly on drugs. Like, what is intervention? I uh, I I uh, used to mountain bike uh, in for- in Florida of all places, but there are all these trails uh, in the middle of the state that, believe it or not, were not too bad. There actually is like trails you can mountain bike on in Florida. The point is, is that I just got this brand new mountain bike and. I was had spent more money on this bike than my first car. It was just very nice. It was a Trek bike and it had double suspension. Oh yeah! And I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm king of the fucking hill with this baby." And so I uh, went to do this trail, and I had invited my friend to go with me, but he said he had to wrap something up, and I was too excited to wait. And I was like, "Well, why don't you meet me out there? Because Daddy's got a ride." <laughs> And so whenever I do anything on my own, it always ends poorly. Uh, <laughs> this is so a running was, theme. I'm going down this trail, and I pass these two dudes who are like, they've stopped in the middle of the trail to take pictures of each other. And I didn't like that because I'm, <laughs> I'm cooking on this straight yeah. run of the trail. And I go, you fucking assholes, get off the goddamn trail. You know, and I like trail off <laughs> as I pass them. And so... Uh, I make my way to this ridge and you round this corner and you come down this. It's kind of, it was very steep, but it was like, I'd say maybe a 30 degree decline. And so I come down this, this, this slope and there's a stump in the middle of the fucking trail and I hit it and I head on. This will get to drugs in a second, <laughs> but uh, I hit it. I get thrown. I land. I break both my arms oh. as I try to break my fall. The oh bike my god! Lands on me, and I just I sit down there and I sit up and I don't know what's happened yet. And I'm like, I can't lift my arms up. And I was like, okay, well this isn't good. Oh and uh, so I kind of work my way over this tree stump. And I wait there because I'm like, clearly I cannot lift my bicycle and walk out of here with it. So I will sit here until, until someone, someone comes. Until the two guys the you just yelled at. <laughs> are those two assholes. Oh, my God. Who, they come down. The, they No problem. They avoid the stump. And they're like, hey, man, uh, you okay? And I go, you know, I don't think so. Uh, they're like, do you need help? And I go, you know, I'm going to think I'm going to wait here a minute. And so they proceed to go up and down that hill taking pictures of each other before they ride off. And I just, I was like, in my head, I was like, one, I don't want those guys to help. Yeah. I'll die out here before I let those oh idiots help me. And then they like fucking mock me in front of my face that they could do this hill. Uh, so someone else comes along, walks me to the beginning. I go to the hospital. I've broken both the the radio heads of my oh, ulna. Were they jacked up or were they just you couldn't move them? Like were they physically? Did uh, they no, look? I didn't. It was no just bone. A, it was a fracture on the head because they had been impacted. Okay. Oh, so it wasn't like their your arms were like dangling. You know? No, oh, I mean okay. I kind of kept them like this because I could hold them there. How was the pain? Was, or does the body? I think it had shut down. Okay. Like yeah. my stomach, I felt sick because it was like shock. But yeah. 
uh, I just, I couldn't physically move my arms. Like they had, my body was like, nope. So I'm going to stop you for just one sec. Cause there's a common theme here with you, which is the, no, I think I'm just going to sit here a while thing yeah. got going on. <laughs> yeah. Whenever well, you but, find yourself in a situation, <laughs> yes. your go-to is, you know what? I think I'm just going to sit well, this one out for I, a bit. I like to, in my head, I don't react the same way. Like I was robbed in Greece and, and they broke into our car and took everything and all my passports, my money and my girlfriend just broke down as a mess. And I'm just kind of contemplatively in my head thinking about what the next step, what is. needs to be done. Yeah. So I'm cool under pressure. That's, but that, that there is something to be said for like something happens. Don't be reactionary. Take a step back. Think about what's going on. Yep. Because so, I, yeah. it, it takes me a long time to get there because I used to be the first guy to be like, what the fuck? Like, I would go crazy over any little thing. Well, I do. I mean, listen, I have, I clearly on the way over here, I had a <laughs> meltdown. I couldn't find the place. So I, Honestly, I thought Tony was doing an, a, an impression of a Midwest dad. He calls me, he's like, what the fuck? This fucking map? What but the see, fuck? This situ- that situation is different because you really weren't in harm's way. Like, you, no shark, no 9-11, no you, broken arm. You were just like, angry. No broken arm. me isn't working properly, yeah. so then I lose it, my cool. Yeah, but that's so- different. See, you weren't put in harm's way. I think if you were in harm's way, you'd have just been like, hey, John, I don't oh, really know where boy. I am. I'm going to pull I'm over and just sit some, here for a little while. I'm going to need some help, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so I go to the doctor. They put me in double slings. They say, hey, I got bad news, pal. <laughs> You're not going to be mountain daddy. You won't yeah, be mountain biking uh, for a while. Well, the good news is your bike's still rideable. That's good. But you are you're not going to be not. riding it. Yeah, you're not. He didn't be do a lame it. doctor joke like high five. Come on, bring it in. No. Nope. Oh, you can't do that because no. turns doctor. out I'm doctor. What's I'm doctor kickback. I'm doctor uncle kickback. Unless you got a thousand G's. <laughs> Have you met my partner, Doctor High Fives? <laughs> so they gave me uh, Vicodin, and it was the best thing I ever had in my whole life. Like the dreams I had on that were just so vivid and real. Like I can still remember one specific dream where I was on the beach and I'm just like floating around and everything's cool. And I see this like stealth bomber, like spaceship come over and it launches this rocket and it just a white flash happens in the horizon and just comes at me. And I felt this warmth come over my body and I woke up out of it going, ah, and I felt like I had just been vaporized. <laughs> like all of my body had felt that sensation. I was like, I need some more of this. That's uh, it? Huh? Did you happen to see a guy on the beach itching his chest? That would have been me <laughs> coming through your dream. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not feeling the same thing. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And so they, they're like, hey, uh, we got to take you off this. Because <laughs> you've you had went, nine you refills med- in a you week. You went through your, your prescription <clears throat> in half the time. Yeah. Oh, okay, so, so you did double. You abused okay. it. So I liked it. And you doubled like, down. Well, we got to give you, I think it's Percocet, which is not as addictive. But uh, just as strong. But yeah. Right, but... They didn't want me to get hooked on Vicodin, so they're like, "Well, Percocet's okay. Get addicted to that." Uh, so, was, is Percocet not a narcotic? I think it's just a uh, different schedule. I, uh, I know that it, it's it's not Vicodin. It's not Vicodin, but it See, is. I'm already is confused addictive. by the whole op- opioid thing. I don't even know what that. Well, means they just didn't want to give like, me it. So, Vicodin falls under that category. It is opioids. Oh, Anything okay. that's basically an opium type. I know um, that heroin addicts cannot have like they can't have any of well, that stuff. No, 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 no. They, they shouldn't. Go down Oxycontin, right. Vicodin, Percocets, yeah. uh, Demerol. Um, what a vivid I dream! So I just warm and just calm all the time. Yeah. See, that's what the Oxycontin did to me. But I didn't have it like I didn't have it as wonderful as you did. That's like 
Boy, it was. But I I can't specifically remember other that dream though. I will never forget. I don't know why it just sticks out to me. Like, but I could just probably the only time you ever woke up and felt like your body wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. You, were you don't wake up waiting. feeling vaporized very often. So yeah, so that's that's <laughs> another reason why I think I know I'm a, have a, I, that's, I was quickly addicted to this thing that yeah. I, I just wanted to keep having more of. Yeah, that's that's a fair that's a good assessment. I mean, that was my question is like, what happened in your life that you knew, like oh, I have an addictive personality? Like like Eddie Pence is like when I liked soda, I would drink. 45 cokes in a day or whatever and i was like Ugh, gross he's like when he got into five hour energy he would drink like three a day i'm like dude, dude too who's much drinking five do you drink five hour? i don't i don't understand for a long time i did oh that's just poison oh man it's so bad it's so bad and i one time i i had that was that was remember when we were leaving madison and i threw up <laughs> that morning so i had i had been in uh, like southern illinois doing shows i got plowed there i was in warrenville for a little while i got plowed with my friends then i had to drive to madison or be in madison just drunk and then one one morning wake up and i'm like okay uh i'm gonna i I have a super bad hangover we're gonna go to breakfast i'm gonna have a coca-cola because that's always usually good like one coke in the morning if you're hungover gets the blood going and then i was like and i'm gonna have this five hour energy and (laughs) that literally i was and then later on i tried to blame it on that place with the eggs yeah john blamed the restaurant restaurant food (laughs) (laughs) but like it was literally that combo of garbage and poison that went into my body it was so gnarly i i I think that was one of the i couldn't drink five hour energies after that i was like i just don't even know how those things are legal i just there's nothing about it looks right no it doesn't but right it looks like it was like it was drawn from the arm of a the, the, uh, an alien, the space jockey uh, alien. Yeah, um, and it, it 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 smells like poison. But Jerry Seinfeld's joke about it about like five hour energy. Who created this? Like, oh, I'm packing it up, and going home. What are you doing? It's two o'clock. Yep, it took five hour energy. I, we work till five. Where are you going? Like, you need eight hour energy if you want to get through a regular work day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it was it was just one of those things. But like, I then you know when I like Red Bulls, I never got into. Yep, never got. I never drank Monster. I never no, drank any of that stuff. The fact that anyone can do those Jaeger bomb shots to Ugh, me. No, 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 no. Disgusting. Yeah, if Red I'm, Bull and licorice. Yeah, if, if anything, I'll drink straight Jaeger. That doesn't bother me. Ugh. Which I know people are like, "You're 14. What are you doing?" Like, this is so gross. <laughs> But I'm also give me a little gold schlager, dude. For, first time I ever drank gold schlager, I had to ask if the gold flakes in it were gonna cut, cut my well, throat, and the lady was like, "No, they poopy? just no, no, they just stay in your teeth." <laughs> and, and then, then the guy, you become amazing. We did we did two we did two shots, and then the kid next to me uh, threw up on the floor of the bar, and then just like kept drinking. I was like, uh, "Oh, okay." What was it the Patrick Keen joke? If you uh, if you have uh, Red Bull vodkas and you hold it up to your ear, you can hear yourself apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what. Patrick Keen. Oh, very oh, funny. Uh, so, what, what you recently produced some some really good TV though, uh, some Food Network stuff uh, with Michael McKeon. It's, I mean, it, I'll say it's 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 one of the things I'm most proud of. Like we were man- we managed to make 65 episodes of of a television, show. which is a lot for anyone who doesn't know. It's pretty great. Uh, hosted by Michael McKean. It's called Food Factor Fiction. It's Michael uh, McKean, of course. Uh, Lenny and Squiggy. Lenny Laverne from Laverne and Shirley. And Shirley. Uh, Better Call Saul. Saul. Spinal Tap is my... David St. Hubbin is my favorite Michael McKean character ever. I know. It's funny. Everyone always says Spinal Tap to him, but the first thing I said to him was, like, you were in the movie Clue. And that is one of my favorite movies of all yep, time. Yep. My ex-girlfriend loved that movie. I had to movie. stop her from screaming. <laughs> But I'm he's gonna go done, home and he's, sleep with my wife. <laughs> he's he's acted in his his career is 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 he's pretty been in phenomenal. So many things uh, and 
So I was working on another show at the time, Jay Leno's Garage. I was working with, uh, you can say what you want, but I think he's indisputably a comedy legend. Jay Leno? Jay Leno. Oh, I don't think anyone would dispute that he's a comedy legend. I don't know where that whole, I I, I know actions, I don't know where it came from. I think there was a a lot of spinning going on when there was the whole late night war thing, and I think that's where that part of it comes from. Some people picked aside and never recovered. Yeah. I've never seen anyone work a room like him. Uh, You know, I saw him performing from a room of a thousand people and the guy just people are enthralled by him and he, he's just so I mean you listen to him when he talks mm-hmm. it's important he's also to remember a nice person I, if, it's yeah, like, I mean he it, loves cars I think more than people but yeah but I think it's argue. I think with Jay Leno it's important it's to remember the, stuff, right? the reason yeah. he got the Tonight Show was because he was undisputably one of the best comics at that time and he could sit in that chair and do the job. Like, yeah. of everyone they had guest host, he was the strongest. There was a reason he guest hosted so many times. People took to him. People liked him. He does command a room. Like, it, the the dislike comes from later on when you're like, hey, man, Conan was going to do that. Why are you coming back on with a 10 o'clock show? Like, how bad no, do you no, hate your I life? Know, and I you know we don't, have, we don't have the full story. There. Right, of like, course I, not. I know that the network was like, oh, shit, yeah. we've put this person in this spot who it's not right. It's not the right fit. Like, they also didn't give it enough time. No, I, and I get that. But you had an audience that was watching this guy for, you know, 30 years. And then now you're going to change up the format and bring in this guy who the later crowd who stays up late... He loves him like a god, but they're not watching TV at the earlier spot. So, you know, it's just an interesting situation. I think that, yeah, I guess he didn't help with how it was handled, but also I can't, I don't think it's fair to put the blame on him. No, I, I, I guess it's not, but I'm saying that's where a lot of the dislike comes from is the fact that it looks like Conan was removed because Leno came back in too soon right. and it wasn't. Yeah. And I mean, they also had a different style of comedy. Like oh, yeah. they, Conan and Leno are so polar opposite that yeah. it's just, you well, know, Conan's not a standup really. You no. know, and Jay Leno comes from being, right. he's a standup. He know he, he knows, he knows so many like just street jokes because he, he loves just just jokes you would just hear. Yeah, just Uncle jokes, and, whatever. And he always want to tell them to you because he he loves joke structure and just dissecting it. But that was a cool opportunity. I got to I was like, wow, I get to work with Jay Leno. I got to meet Jay Leno. Like, see all those fucking cars I've ever seen. Like wolf <laughs> eyes. Like I was like, this guy turns into a wolf. They match his the denim balloon. outfit. <laughs> No, <laughs> blue. They, the, the, they make the outfit look gray. That's so blue, <laughs> and he's got this, you know, ghostly white hair, and he's so tan. He just like he doesn't seem like a real person because you're like, wow, because he lives an amazing life. Well, I mean, the guy, the world knows who Jay Leno is. Yeah. The world, the guy can't, he probably can't go anywhere without people not knowing who he is. So, it was just an amazing experience. But the moment I got the call about Michael McKean, who was someone I. You know, I idolized, I loved him. I was like, wow. So I've got to work with a legend and my comedy idol Mm -hmm. back to back. And so I just was not doing as much writing on the, the, the car show. And this gave me the opportunity to be like the head writer for this funny food show so we'd we'd learn like food history but then present it in a funny entertaining way. And I get to write these on camera funny kind of short Intro pieces with Michael McKean. Like the Casablanca 
Yeah, the, the thing you posted so today. It was for shrimp cocktail. I, <laughs> the intro to that segment was this Casablanca black and white film noir version, like of all the ginjoids in all the world. Shrimp had to be served in mine, <laughs> uh, and it's just silly and fun, and and he's great. But you know, I think the show is entertaining, and obviously, yeah, maybe it's. You can argue, is it award-winning television? I don't know. I think so. But What other stuff have you uh, done be, other than those two shows that you really enjoyed working on? Uh, I wrote for this show called Super Fan Builds, which was really fun. It's on Netflix now. But it would just you'd, you'd get to, to meet these people who loved a certain thing, like Batman or Voltron or whatever, and then uh, they would get their dream object made by some master builder. And so we did all these funny, thematically driven intro segments. So like for Voltron, we got like a kid just sitting in front of one of the hosts as a kid in front of the TV and he gets sucked into the Voltron world. It's Sandeep. If you know Sandeep, I I thought maybe you may have done his shows. Uh, The name is familiar. uh, But uh, it was really fun. I enjoyed doing that. I, I, uh, what's another one that... I really enjoyed. Um, so some of them too. Oh, I liked. I love ridiculousness. That was fun. It that got was me the, to uh, to learn about you know some of the first things I needed to know about TV. And you, there was a lot of people in the writers' room with you, like a lot of comics you knew and loved yeah, fun, like, so fun I got people. To work with my peers, and it was yeah. you know, I mean, it was very stressful because you're in a room with six people shouting at a screen just things and one person's just trying to write all these that's dude when that's what because when people think like your original thought of writer's room is a very organized like okay now we're going to be here's what we're writing uh you take this part of it you do this episode whatever and then you talk about themes and you list stuff on a board but when i like uh, stuff like that because i wrote on the i went into the writer's room for the eric andre movie yeah and is this like we're yelling the dumbest things we can over the top of each other and one poor guy's in the corner like yeah, and it's all going up on a screen and he's typing every nonsensical thing you say so that in order to just make sure that it's all taken care of. I like, know oh. that's not my ideal <laughs> writer's room. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, it's, it's it can fun, be. But it is chaos. Yeah. Like because there's no order to it and if it's just just this becomes a cacophony of this white noise of people just shouting things. I feel like you are not exploring things further. Like if you aren't heard and right. you don't shout over this guy, then that brilliant idea you had is now gone because everyone's that train ain't a stopping. Yeah. So I think that maybe it works for clip shows, uh, or for the that was a prank uh prank show movie. Yeah. But I feel like in a, a scripted show, it's got to be room, more organized. They have to because you're talking about plot and character development, right? And, <laughs> and season doing, arcs. He and pulls se- his dick out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because that's exactly what it is. It's like, and then maybe you could yell "butthole" and, and shove a thumb in someone's ass, and you're like, "No, mm. no, no! You put your face in his butthole." <laughs> no, no, no! You are the butthole. <laughs> Sounds fun, you guys. It really. Uh, I could have been there. I'm glad I did it. It's just I knew that that's not the situation. Like now, I even though I still work on these kind of shows, I still write pilots. Yeah, like scripted pilots. I just finished. One actually this morning uh, that I feel really good about. It's a really great idea. I have a cartoon I'm developing with this this company that uh, they they created Roseanne and Home Improvement. So 
little known shows <laughs> uh, <laughs> that ran for a couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. they're doing all right. Yeah. But, uh, so they have an animation department, and it's this cartoon I've been working on for a while, and we're ready to bring it out to networks. And nice. Uh, just I just try to keep writing. If I'm not telling jokes on stage, like to me, I, I there's more benefit to me to sit down and 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 write out these scripts that yeah. I have all these ideas Would, for. And, and ultimately, is that where you'd rather be, is in full scripted? I mean, not, not a slamming any of the other stuff that you've no, done. No, not but. at all. I, I actually, yeah, I would, because I, I'm a huge fan of story, and telling an interesting, compelling story, to me, you know, I love learning facts, but if there is an arc to a story that you can follow that is just like, I gotta see what happens next, and I really can relate to this character, and I can... can can see myself in his shoes. I, I don't know. To me, that there's something really fascinating about that. So, because you in the other stuff that you were doing, you weren't just writing it, but sometimes you're actually, for all intents and purposes, segment producing, producing it. So you're actually taking it from the beginning to the yeah, middle to well, the end, right? Yeah. So, so I did you appreciate the food that? Show, and then I also would direct the experts and go out in the field and and uh, film all the things that I had written with them. So you get to do wear many hats. And, and do you like that part of it? That, I do. That I hands-on? Do. I really do like... I love doing the creative stuff. I hate doing the tedious stuff like, you know, clean this script up or yeah. uh, get all your... Receipts. Your receipts in order. That, to me, <laughs> I just can't do. Like, I have to do it. It's but. part of it. Well, it's that's hard the, with, the, that's with, the, the, work, with, the, with the shark finger, right? It's really hard sometimes. Oh, oh, guys, I gosh, can't. I, I was bitten by a shark. <laughs> well, yeah, like the creating a story from nothing and then, then, then building like 13 episode, uh, an arc of a story coming from the, the beginning with all these different B stories and C stories coming in. To me, that's, I mean, that's fascinating and I would love to do that. Yeah. But... They don't just hand those jobs out. You know, but oh, they don't. eventually. All right, well, thanks no. for filling us in. All right, <laughs> in I case anyone's life. So what he's saying is the border of California, Los Angeles, Hollywood is now closed. It's closed. Yep. <laughs> if you Guys, got any good ideas for a script, email yeah. him the old T-Bone, and he'll, yeah, he'll <laughs> take it from there. Script. I'll well, tell you why they can't make it. <laughs> I love that. I love being because, told why they can't make something. I love, yeah, I love making something that no one's ever heard of and being like, nobody's looking for that. And then two months later, the that exact show thing. comes out. Yeah, or a, wor- a much worse version of whatever you yeah, tried to pitch. Like, it's oh, always worse. Great. Glad they were a good idea. Here's what I've learned that I have to do is um, my, uh, my wife, God bless her for this, but she will watch shows with the kids. And then every once in a while, they will trick me into watching with them something. Mm. And the problem is when you try to create and then you sit down and you, you watch see what's final been, product. what's been created. Because I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't want to be that. My attitude is like, eh, bravo to you. Well, however you got that made, however you succeeded, it, that's you. As I don't want that to affect me. But sometimes they'll, they'll pull me in and I will just be watching something and I'll be like, I don't, I don't understand. Like it, every once in a while you get the, I just don't understand. I've gotten script notes back before. Did they give no script notes back on this? Because I always get the, it's got to be, you got to get way better than this. It's got to be more, 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 which I know is a wall that's intentionally put up. But then you're like, do there, are there no walls for some of this that's happening? No, none? No, I think it's the opposite of what you said. I think it's that too many cooks ruined whatever you're watching, that it started out as a brilliant idea. Like people were like, <clears throat> this is great. I've never seen anything like it. But 
Let's yeah. try Water this, down. and then let's try this, and then everyone has to have their two cents, so they feel important. They've all chimed in, and now it's ruined. And then you get like, I mean, I, I don't want to give any specific examples, but like you see, how the fuck could this ever be put on air? Did anybody not just be like, does anyone want to be honest with this? <laughs> no, it was that that all these people like they they were like, this is one idea that I'm not going to let you guys make this without putting it in. And so they fight for it and fight for it. And then everybody fights for their thing. And then the low guy on the pole, the guy who actually created the thing, who's trying to please all these network execs, is like, well, okay, I just want to see this thing get made. I don't care anymore. And yeah. so you just do what everybody says, and then you get this this beautiful mess. And then it gets canceled. And, and you can't believe, why would this thing not make it? Yeah, because everyone dipped in. Right. There is a. I think there is something we said about trusting the artist and the, the creative process like there's a lot of people in development who are all great people. Right. Did you guys ever hear the story but. about John Carter? That movie, that Disney movie that never got released. It eventually got released. That's when I learned a lot about um, the, the the business in general. Kind of what you're talking about. John Carter was like this movie that was made with the guy that was on Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. the kind of loser, heavy drinking guy. And what they talk about was that because a lot of people, the, I guess the story behind that movie was a lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah, over that movie because it was a huge, big budget, big budget. Either two fifty or three fifty was put into three hundred fifty million dollars was put into this movie, and they were talking about like, well, how if it was that bad to start with, why did it? Why did it make it to the finish line, and then why did they shelve it? And they and it really was a story about everybody who had a stake in it and all the hands that were in it. It's basically like when they talk about a plane that takes off, there's a certain point where they can't go back. It's the point of no return, right? And that movie had hit its point of no return and they knew that they were going to spend all that money and that everybody was going to, you know, was going to have their share in it. And they knew at the end of it, everyone was going to, you know, the people, the powers that be were all going to lose their jobs. It was never going to be released. All this stuff. Like, it was just an amazing story about, but we're still going to just go ahead and spend that 350 anyway because the train's already left the station. You're just like, Man. wow. That's how dysfunctional this business can be. Well, it's, I think it's a lot of people just also want to, you know, when you, when you look at something with blinders and you're like, I have to get this made with no matter what the cost. Yeah. And you're just willing to do whatever. It's when you, when you compromise, you keep compromising. Then you're you have a career. Really lousy at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. yeah, uh, but that's a, that's true because a lot of the a lot of the sh- sometimes you'll hear of like so and so had complete control over this show, and then those shows are usually pretty decent. Like when the when the network steps back and takes their hands off it and goes, okay, this is the show you came to us with. Continue with this idea. You know, it's a usually yeah. pretty successful like a, show. I will fight generally for an idea I have. Uh, you know, with the producers. And I, because I believe and I know that, you know, they brought me on for some things because of who I am and, and I'm funny and I have funny ideas and, and trust me, you brought me in to do this. Let me tell you that this funny thing will work. And if it doesn't, then okay. And we can take it out and post. That's right. But let's just see it because <clears throat> I know once you see it, you'll agree that it's great. And I was seldom wrong because I just was like, look, on paper, it doesn't sound funny, but you see it and you will know that I'm right. And so I would fight and I'd fight and I'd fight. And then I'd, they'd be like, why are you, why are you being confrontational? It's like, <laughs> I'm not. I just really believe that this is right. And you're trying to tell me that I don't know the thing that you brought me in to talk about. 
So, yeah. uh, you know, you do have to play games sometimes and, and you got to pick your battles, but there's some things that I just, if I feel really strong about, I will fight for. And, you know, you just have to know when and when. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that is if you don't, you could also just lose your job, too. And it's like at the end, you may have lost your job because you didn't fight for anything. Right, I'm going to be blamed either way. Yeah. So I'd rather be blamed <laughs> for the thing I fought for. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Instead of just rolling over. Wasn't yeah. The, the, the other uh, well-known thing, wasn't it? They, they, people talk about there are certain seasons of uh, Seinfeld where you could tell Larry David wasn't involved. Yeah. There was that whole thing where like, oh, mm. that thread, that, that guy that was really the bond. Because I think he took a couple seasons off, right? He did. He were, quit, yeah, he quit the show a couple different times. Yeah, and you yeah. can. And they always say you can tell the difference in the shows that he's not involved with. And look, sometimes people really genuinely are the Bond, the David Lee Roth of that show, if you will. Ooh. What do you think I of that one? I won't. I don't know. I no? like it. I like uh, it. I don't know. Oh, really? You're a Sammy uh, Hagar guy? I'm not, it's not that I'm a Sammy You're a Hagar. Van Hagar? It's I, not that I was told we'll allow it. <laughs> well, first of all... Are I, you a Van Hagar? First of all, I do like Van Hagar. You do? Uh, I do. I like David Lee. Roth. I like well, no. I love David Lee Roth. I love early Van Halen. But when Fifty One Fifty came out, that was a pretty fantastic album, and I like everything after that too. So yeah, I, I was actually I was just gonna say I had a, one of those days where I put on Pandora, Queen Pandora, and it was like. I should I should start every morning with We Are the Champions because that just lifted me right up. Get your blood Man, that was that's such a good song. And then it and then uh, ask your wife if she. And then I heard Lean on Me uh, by Bill Withers, which was is fantastic. Uh, and then um, right here, right uh, right now mm-hmm. by Van Halen off the For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge uh, album, which. Very positive song. It's a really I, good. Yeah. Van Hagar to me is 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 subdivisions from Rush. That's how I. feel Oh, dude, about subdivisions that. is awesome. You don't like subdivisions? It's time. It's it's both of them feel time stamped. Clearly time stamped to me. I mean, you could. I mean, uh, that's, both albums that, I, are very time stamped. I would to me. say that's fair because you do look at early Van Halen and it's not really time stamped. You're like, man, these songs rock no yeah. matter what. And then there is some stuff with like, especially like OU812. There's a lot of dated, dated stuff on there, but like meaning like it sounds dated. It's just a dated album. But I do. I always said that knowing kind of what I knew about the singers back in the day that like David Lee Roth was the guy I wanted to see on stage. Sammy Hagar is the guy I'd go do shots of tequila with at the bar. Well, he does have Cabo Wabo. Yeah. But whatever. uh, Yeah. I've been there. Yeah, <laughs> the one in wait, which part? The, the one thing in Mexico. With Sammy Cabo. Oh. Oh. I went to that stupid restaurant in Cabo, Mexico. <laughs> and I was like, boy, we made the wrong choice. Well, yeah, I this would has never. No business being. You can go to the one in in Hollywood. That's okay. It felt very authentic. No, no, we flew just there to go specifically <laughs> to the Cabo to the experience. Yeah, well, that Hagar's sounds like your dream. problem. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've got no problem. I've seen Van Halen with Sammy Hagar twice. I've seen him with David Lee Roth twice. Hey, and you might as well jump. And the last time, the last time I saw him with David Lee Roth, I was not impressed. David, it was very bad. Well, I mean, yeah. he, David Lee Roth was very bad musically. Eddie Van Halen has never sounded better, and they're about to do another tour, from what I've read, that will include all of the original members. So Michael Anthony will be back on the bass because before Eddie's kid Wolfgang was playing bass oh. for the last two tours. So And David Lee Roth. And David Lee Roth, yeah. So David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen, and Michael Anthony. And Sammy Hagar. And <laughs> Sammy Hagar will be in the back hanging out. 
You could let Mark Ellis know he'll go with you. Give us something to ride on. (laughs) I mean, dude, 1984 and Purple Rain were the first two tapes I ever bought. In 1984, when I first heard him do the uh, uh, on Hot for Teacher, I was like, I bet I'm not supposed to be listening to this. Uh, Like, this uh, sounds pretty horny. Yeah, those those videos stand out in my mind as like, sit down, Waldo. That is my child. Yeah, Hot for Teacher came on. I have satellite radio in the car. Hot for Teacher came on when I was, I had the kids in the car. And at first, I was like, yeah. Then I was like, oh, wait. And I immediately changed. I love that song, though. That the guitar, like it, the just the first four albums from Van Halen are really, I mean, that guy is an innovator. Eddie Van Halen is an innovative guitar player. Like there is no question that he changed the face of playing the guitar. It's like the first time the guitar went from being like it used to be just a backup instrument, and then like an, an old blues guy was like, I play some notes in there, and they're like, people are like, holy shit, the guitar, what are you doing? And like yeah. it was like it was crazy. This guy? It was crazy, and like but but that. But since then, there was like guys like Jimmy Page changed the game, Jimmy Hendrix changed the game. But then, really, when Eddie Van Halen came along, like just the idea of how the guitar was even approached completely changed, and it was it was fascinating. You know, downside to Eddie Van Halen created a lot of dudes in their basements with guitars on YouTube. I would argue days. that that's the upside because, like, I mean, I remember this kid. What's the upside I went to, to YouTube for the, or the early you, days? Uh, you you pass up a bunch of, I think. I mean, I know he's great, but what about like a Brian May or no, dude, don't no, don't get me wrong. Brian May is fantastic and innovative, not just in the guitar, but and that's what I wanted to ask. Someone gave Brian their screeners, which is an illegal thing, so I don't know who that was. But um, did you watch Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> I saw it. I did. I saw it in the theaters. So I thought that that movie showed one of the best things it showed was that. That band wasn't just Freddie Mercury. Yeah. He was the driving force. He was the voice. But Brian May created the stomping for We Will Rock You. Mm-hmm. Like, the other, the bassist was like, we should dress up and drag for this video. Like, those ideas came from that band being a band and, and coming up together and being innovative together. And, like, the the line where, where Freddie Mercury in that movie says, uh, you know, I, I worked with musicians who, who I just wanted to do everything I said. And you know what? They fucking did, and it sucked. There was no pushback. There was no fucking fighting. There was no, dude, let's do it this way. Because every once in a while, you get lightning in a bottle, and Queen was lightning in a bottle. Those musicians made that band what it was. And that's not every day you can say that. And I don't mean to uh, cut out all the guitar players between Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen. That's not what I'm trying to do, because Brian May... um, Rhythmically, I don't. I can't even think of someone who is that insane rhythmically, other than maybe like how Bob Weir plays guitar. Mm-hmm. But like Brian May is fantastic, and and don't get me wrong. But Eddie Van Halen, like from a point where kids, younger people, were like hammer-ons and fucking playing with both hands up on the frets and like <laughs> eruption, eruption. This the song eruption changed how people even heard a guitar. It, mm-hmm. So yeah, again, there are other, I, you know, Brian May is on Mount Rushmore of guitar players. As far as I'm concerned, Queen is that movie, especially just launched them into my brain so hard. I can't stop being, but listening to them and being motivated by every song. How does your wife feel about that part? She loves Queen. Okay. Oh man, she loves sure. it for yeah, now. I, uh, a lot of people, they were shitting on that movie. Like it's just like they're in a, a concert. You just watch them play songs. It's like, did you see the same movie? Because there's a story there, and you see how it culminates to that show right. at the end, like, and it's what did beautiful. You want the movie to be about they're like, well, I guess it didn't focus as much on on Freddie's homosexuality. Is like, what yeah. do you want a movie just about him fucking dude? Well, first of all, it did. He's gay enough in that movie. We yeah. got we got it. Like I think I think by not. 
I think what the beauty of that movie was like the band, there was never any animosity about, there was never any worry about him being gay. There was never, they didn't care. They accepted him no matter what. And I think that's what the movie showed by not focusing a hundred percent on just, you're gay, you're gay. How's being gay? What's being gay like? Oh, you're gay. Like he's a gay man. He's the lead singer of a fucking rock band. A million women want to suck his dick. He wants nothing to do with it. Okay. That's fine. But the band members weren't like, well, here's us with a gay singer. No, they were like, dude, this guy's got a mouth, dude. He's got some pipes. This is the band. And then when like, when he goes, what do you think of it? He's showing the guy some artwork, but his hair is cut short. He's got a mustache. And the guy goes, I don't know, gayer. And he's like, I meant the painting. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. It's great. But like, that's the kind of, they had that kind of, that was the relationship of those band members. And I think, I think that, and then culminating to that live aid set, because that live aid set truly cemented queen as being the, one of the greatest live acts of all time. I mean, you, that guy commanded an arena and on top of that arena was all the live feeds. So the world saw that performance and it was phenomenal. You know what I mean? And knowing what we know now, he knew he was probably dying. He knew he had AIDS. He knew at that time there was no cure. It was a death sentence. And he was losing his voice and he was fatigued and he was having all the problems to come along with being sick. And he went out there and that set and literally left it all out there and, and was the like, band stood by him and the band stood by him. And there was no, and that's, I think that gets, that's, to me was the most beautiful part of that movie was seeing that the band was all the other members of the band were just as intricate in making queen what it was. Well, that as, was the whole the movie Mercury. was about the band. I mean, I, yes. I know, I know the movie was, I, it was about not, the band. Cause if you, if you want, when you watch the film, you're like, Oh, they really got, they really got to Freddie Mercury in the band very quickly. Like they kind of do at first you're thinking to yourself, Oh man, wow. They kind of really skipped over a lot really quick and just got him in the band. And then you, once you watch the film, you go, this movie is about the, the band, movie should have been about- called queen. The movie should have been called queen in my opinion. Cause I agree. It is about the band. Whereas then you watch like, uh, that movie, the runaways that was supposed to be about Joan jet and, uh, the other girl from the runaways, um, cherry bomb. What's her name? Um, fuck. uh, anyway, anyway, but, but that movie, like literally they're in high school, Joan jet buys a guitar. She tries to take a lesson. This guy says, no, women play acoustic guitars. The next day she plays in a band. And then next, then the guy goes, you got a sweet sound. I want to sign you to a record deal. <laughs> and like, then they're in the runaways. You're like, Hey, I think we're skipping some steps here in how people become musicians and yeah. learn to play the guitar. But that's not what and this, that. That, but this movie was not about to it. That movie was not about this movie was about the relationships of those people yes. in that, in that world, yeah. all of them. It wasn't just the, it wasn't the Freddie Mercury movie. I yeah. enjoyed seeing like those things. Like, I didn't know the drummer was the guy who did, did Galileo. No, dude, but had to do it a thousand times because Freddie Mercury's in the booth going, mm, do it again, mm, yeah. do it again. Like how many times? And, and meanwhile, partially in his head, he's going, we got it, right? This is enough. Like, you know, it's like Monty Python when you hear about all the stories of the infighting when they were making, like one of them's directing and one of them's standing in mud going, I think we got the fucking take. Like they're all, they've worked together and worked together and worked together. They're like brothers. The Queen was like a, a group of family. Like they were related almost, right. you know? I'd like to know why uh i think his name's deacon the the bassist doesn't want to be a part of the live shows anymore uh yeah i mean i mean i mean he's made he's still a very very wealthy man and again they're all that's one of the most educated bands you're ever gonna find like brian music astrophysicist (laughs) it's like dude what like that's you like i'm a lucky biologist but man i like fart jokes like (laughs) all right you know you gotta do what you gotta do 
But anyway, I loved that movie. It really, it really launched Queen. Like they're lodged in my skull as one of the greatest live bands ever. I'm, I'm bummed that one of my favorite. I never songs saw is the Seven Seas of Rye. If you've never heard it, uh, I'll have check to check it, it out. out. It'll blow your asshole right out. I love it. Oh, and Mike Myers cameo in that movie. I still laugh. Serendipity. Oh yeah, and you made fun of me. About saying, I like Mike Myers. And you're like, yeah, that's what the world needs, more Mike Myers in it. You made fun of me. I remember saying it. I'm just going to hold you to that one. Don't uh, yeah, that's fine. But to him. Shut up. What? By the way, <laughs> I got to be honest, you guys, the, the reason why Queen is really on my radar is um, I've loved uh, Flash Gordon my entire life. Dude. My and that soundtrack... I could not stop playing that soundtrack when that movie. And they came did the out. whole soundtrack, right? They did the yeah. whole thing. Which again, uh, that's a rare like ACDC has done it for Maximum Overdrive. You know what I mean? But that was all like songs that were brought in. Like yeah, Queen, no, they did this. Wrote songs oh, yeah. for the movie, and one of the most beautiful films ever made. Uh, people who love that movie will, will I, agree with I you. Lo- I yeah. love that movie. Look, uh, mm-hmm. you can say what you want about the story or the acting, but I mean. I think it's still a great movie for what it is. Yeah. I will tie something into there. So I'm I'm also a huge Batman head. So Batman 1960s. When I grew up, like that was the first thing I saw was like the Batman, the original Batman TV show on reruns and stuff like that. And um, uh, it turns out, and I didn't even find this out until about 15 years ago, that the guy that wrote the Batman movie and the Batman pilot is the same guy that wrote Flash Gordon. Whoa. So the tone wow. of that tongue-in-cheek yeah. campiness... Same guy did both well, movies. Well, because yeah, it was a comic book, and it was it was supposed to be what it is, and uh, I just love the art direction. Oh yeah, I, it's love, a, I agree. I, mean, I don't know if you're being sarcastic, no, but it's I a very really do. I my dad. That was like one of the few things that we we liked monster movies together, and his, yeah. one of his favorite movies was Flash Gordon. That's great, and because he loved Queen, and so. The soundtrack and the movie—it just—I—I I think it, it's a special thing for me because of what it is. But also, that soundtrack is badass. Oh yeah, yeah, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, should wrap it up. That's right. We'll wrap it up on some. Wrap it up on Flash Gordon and Queen. Uh, but t- Tony, thank you very much for coming by. Yeah. Uh, molecular biology. Yeah, and, and marine and biology. Guys, if your listeners love, oh merch, yeah. Oh, you have a you have Scaredy a, Cat. Oh, your album? My album. And also you have a podcast, Legally Insane. Yeah, that's right. So both of them you can get on iTunes. So my album, Scaredy Cat, or this podcast, Legally Insane, which uh, it it delves down into the bizarre legal history of our country, things that are affecting us right now. So we'll we'll give you a little history and then we'll bring it to the president and tell you why everything's so screwed up. Yeah. And if there's any recourse or like, does the president have the ability to call an emergency action and build a wall? Right. You find out the answer to those things right. more. And now, you got to research all that. Well, he just watches the movie Vice, and then... then well, actually, my co-host is, he's an attorney. Oh, okay, I got Matt you. Matt Ritter, uh, he's still an attorney. He's a licensed attorney. He's, he's still a... He's not an active... Doesn't he, practice. He doesn't practice. So he's not on the side of a bus or anything like that? No. Okay. But we said that if he was, he would be that guy. Accidentist. Uh, but uh, we also have a monthly show at the Hollywood Improv. Our next one, I don't know when this will be released, but our next one's February 7th. This will be right, right before, before that. that. Yeah, so... So yeah. get your tickets at HollywoodImprov.com. <laughs> yeah, go see go see Tony's show, Legally Insane. And Is it a live podcast or is it a comedy show? Uh, it started out as a podcast, but it's just, it's stand-up. Yeah. So, uh, we figured that worked better. Yeah. <laughs> That's and fair. It does. That's We're fair. Hollywood funny. Improv, great club. 
Uh, just get Tony's album online and on iTunes. Yeah. And uh, you got anything you're producing coming out? Uh, well, fingers crossed about this this new food show pilot that could get picked up by uh, Food Network uh, and obviously the cartoon. But just you know, I'm just staying busy writing and and telling jokes and having a good time. There you go. That's all you can do. And in the end, isn't that what's important? Yeah, baby. That and fixing houses. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm sweating. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, And uh, don't worry. I'm not going to forget to get a picture this time. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 